Good evening, Meat Suits. Welcome back to Read It and Weep, a podcast that used to be about books. I'm your host, Alex Falcone, recording from North Koreatown, Los Angeles. Um, I have a couple of meat buddies that joined up this week that I want to thank really quickly. Uh, Gibby, who's been listening to us for ages and who we'll talk about again um, in an upcoming episode. And also we have a, a, a very fun segment coming up later for Matthias. Matthias? Matthias. Matthias. I practiced it and then panicked as soon as I saw it again. Um, but we'll be talking about more about Matthias uh, down uh, a little bit later in the show today. If you want to join Gibby and Matthias donating to the show and keeping us limping down the tracks, you can become a meat buddy by going to metreon.com. And we thank everybody who supports the show. Let me introduce you to the panel now. I have a great panel with me today. Very fired up. Good pre-show dialogue. Always makes me feel optimistic. First up, he's at Anthony Lopez Part 2 in southeast portland it's mr anthony lopez hey great to be here uh checking out some am, uh, uh app reviews for a podcast and i just see one that just says the horror the horror <laughs> so i don't know what that's about it's uh, probably a reference though so you can't oh, be sure that they hate maybe it. yeah or you know i mean our podcast i like to think we take people on a journey uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean, basically, you know that the Jungle Cruise in Disneyland were like yeah. that, where you can actually die. Yeah, that <laughs> that would make this movie so much better if the captain was just saying puns the entire trip. I didn't trip. think of that until just yeah. now, and I <laughs> wish I'd written a whole bit about it, about how I thought this movie was the Jungle Cruise. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, that would be, oh man, what a great bit that I came up with too late. Wait, what happened to that movie, The Jungle Cruise? Wasn't that a thing? Wasn't that supposed to come out this year? Yeah, that's, yeah. it's got to be soon. Jeez. Get, get, we want to get that rock in a boat. Yeah, I wonder. Um, oh, next we July. Compare that with uh, Apocalypse Now sometimes. That'll be fun. I would love a side-by-side watch of Disney's Jungle Cruise and Apocalypse Now. My guess is that they did not do nearly the damage to the place they were filming, but who knows? I mean, the, um, the rock did a lot of damage to the local wildlife, you know, with all the fish and eats and all that. <laughs> yeah, he just, really... destroyed the fish population. Um, it looks like, I believe it was supposed to come out this year, and now it was pushed back to 2021 as well. Yeah, like everything. Like. like everything else, yeah. Um, also joining us today, he's at Hunbun on Letterboxd from the woods of Arkansas. Please welcome back Hunter Donaldson. Howdy, y'all. Hey. Oh, God. <laughs> this guy's back. Yeah, no, it, it, it's uh, that. that's it. That's all you get. Is there just a second a little... button, or is you just have the one button? There's just one button, and I click it to do... You gotta program a second button. No, 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 no. This is the only one I like. I don't like the other ones, man. I'm not gonna say I don't love it, but I just just want there to be options. No, I, I... I'm telling you, this is the only trick I like. It does a lot yeah. of different things, and that's all I like. Hunter, Hunter, in that voice, can you give me uh, just a little bit of This Is The End? This Is The End? What do you mean? The, the song? The door song that opens and closes Apocalypse Now? It's just oh, you have kind uh, of a Jim Morrissey voice like that. I don't know. I think I think my brain filters the doors out, to be honest. Yeah, same here. Uh, not, not to be rude here, but I think my brain, I have a doors filter. It's, yeah, it's, a, door, it's a closed door. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Doors fan. I do think this movie uses them pretty well, but uh, yeah, you just ha- you sound a little Jim Morrissey uh, when you I do, do that of, voice. Of all the wars, Vietnam has the best soundtrack. Oh, for sure. It's kind of the only one with a... I, I can't really think of a soundtrack for the others, though, oh, to be well, honest. Man, if you if you watch the Civil War documentary, it's a lot of Johnny Comes Marching Home Again... <laughs> Um, uh, a lot of I, whistling or a lot of Dixie. Uh, uh, Dixie. Did, the, did the two Iraq wars have different soundtracks? Because I feel yeah, like American Idiot by Green Day. And, <laughs> oh, you're right. Uh, oh, 
you know. Uh, I, I mean, that was a, that was after, I believe. But, the, uh, the the Irish Troubles has a "Zombie" by the Cranberries, which is a pretty good song. Uh, oh yeah, so you know, song. yeah, good song for a good bat war, I guess. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then let me bring in our our third pan- panelist here today. Our special guest, he's at Grant Lion One on Twitter, um, also in Los Angeles. It's Mr. Grant Lyon. Grant. Hey, everybody. Hey, thanks, thanks for, for having me, fellas. How is your knee? Oh, uh, it is healing. I literally just got back from physical therapy like uh, 30 minutes ago. So, What I, is uh, your knee physical therapy like? What kind of activities are you doing? Are they fun? Oh, no. Not a fun at all. It's like real painful. They like are pushing <laughs> and pulling me and stuff. So to everybody who doesn't know what we're talking about, I uh, had reconstructive knee surgery about a week ago. I tore my ACL and my meniscus Oof. and stuff. Ooh. So, did yeah. you were you doing something very cool like uh like was it a basketball injury? Like some cool fuck <laughs> position? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, were you doing the the knee fuck move? Yeah, yeah. Was it the knee fuck. I'm, I'm very glad. I'm very glad it was uh playing soccer and not just like cutting carrots and twisting weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you were playing soccer over the age of 17, I think was your True. big problem. True. That's what so, yeah. No, it was a real bummer. Uh, also, because my brother was in town and he was a college soccer player and I was a college soccer player and we don't get to play very often uh, oh. together. And he was Aww. in town for the first time in like five, six years. We went to play. He was like going to be a guest player in my game. And it happened in the first like three minutes of oh, the game. Oh, damn. <laughs> That's that 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 what... because you like you have two limbs that you can take as much damage as you want to and it won't affect right. your game. It's That's just very true. It's true. Two leg limbs, you could you know? break an arm and keep playing. Yeah. 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 Chop that sucker off. It's fine. You could get rid you know? of yeah, you could make a, a pile of tiny arms and keep playing. <laughs> Which weirdly enough, name of my like. soccer team, <laughs> pile of tiny arms. <laughs> Thank you for saving that terrible joke. So, Grant, uh-huh. um, wh- you are also one of the reasons we the scheduling timing for this week uh, is because you have you're the au- co-author of a new card game called Curmudgeon from yeah. 25th Century Games that comes out in like a week, right? Tell, tell out, me about comes Curmudgeon. out next Wednesday. Yeah, Curmudgeon. Yeah, congratulations. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's such a it's such a weird thing because I never know whether to call it a board game or a card game or what? Cause you, you say card game and people think like, Oh, you made up a game with a pack of cards, right? You know? Yes, and that's it's true. Like, no, no. And no you, it's, some of the cards are not card shaped there. Uh, so it's not all. Yeah. yeah. But, but a, it is a card game. based. It's a card based board game. It's like a board game without a board. I yes. guess you would say. <laughs> uh, so you, you're still practicing your pick. I get it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Yep, haven't coming out next week. Have no idea what to say about it. No, uh, the game is like uh, it's like Mad Libs for silly insults. Um, is kind of the way we like to think about it. It's uh, you basically have like keywords and you're using your own creativity to like put words together to make up insults to insult other players. But it really is like ridiculous and silly, not mean right and for, you know for uh for those of you who were not here for our pre-show banter one of the reasons he's going so far to say that it's not me <laughs> got an email like 10 minutes ago saying that he was profiting off meanness yeah i gotta <laughs> i gotta are we allowed to swear in this yes of course remember uh, that conversation l- about knee fucking a second ago oh yeah true i literally got an email 
which said, you're profiting from abuse and fuck you. Um, wow. Which also very funny that that yeah. email is very yeah. abusive. Yeah, you took, a, like, took a strong <laughs> abusive turn halfway you through. Should, uh, you should Venmo that person a dollar and be like, now so are you. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, totally. Also profiting off meanness. (laughs) It just—it's so funny because we really, you know, I am. I mean, Alex can tell you it's like I really try to be a good person and a good human being, and I hope that people, um, you know, think of me as like a good guy. Um, I I try to be, and so I'm not someone like I have literally, you know, the comedy store has like roast roast nights. And I've been asked to do it a couple of times and I've turned it down because I'm like, no, I don't like, it's not I don't, me. it's too mean. It's too mean for me. I don't want to do it. And so yet the fact you are that the like, king of card based insults, I would yeah. just, I've not played the game, but just like looking through some, some media about it. It's like, you might call my Wi-Fi flaccid. Like it's yeah. not. Dude, mean. I was going to pick flaccid too. I was looking at the cards right now and I was like, the meanest <laughs> word here is flaccid. Like that's yeah. not, it's... I mean, perverted is pretty strong. Um, well, I don't know, flaccid he, is meaner. Somebody's out there with a real limp dick who has a real problem yeah. with grants, all right? Well, yeah. But, but yeah. if you're like, oh, your unicycle is flaccid, like it's not, you have a perverted computer. What the fuck computer. did you say to me, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> right? Totally. Dick is ass, ever. dude. Yeah. I just fuck it. Like, <laughs> dude, it does, it does like, feel like we are going to find a reason to be. Like, here, I guess maybe here's the point, Grant, is that people are stronger at taking offense than you assumed. Oh yeah, like totally. I can well, take things personally better than anyone I've ever met. Totally, you know. And obviously, the game isn't going to be for everybody. But if you try to make something for everybody, you're going to fail. Yeah, you yeah, know. That's so. Um, I I feel like true. this is a game for a group of friends who you know aren't super like offended easily. Right? I was wondering. You know? So you, um, did, when you were playtesting this, did you play with a lot of comedians? How? I guess my question is, how clever and funny do you have to be as a person, or is it also fun for normies? Yes. So uh, that is something. You know, initially we played with a lot of comedians because they're my friends yes. uh, here in Los Angeles. But then it was very important to us to make sure the game was fun for non-comedians, right? I'm, right. I wasn't yeah. just trying to make a game for comedians. So we started um, doing playtesting at various game stores around Los Angeles with strangers. Oh, cool. Um, and then we even went to um, some big board game conventions like Gen Con and stuff like that. Oh, and dope. Did, uh, yeah. We did playtesting sessions there. So, And I have yet to see anybody who can't do the game you know like it certainly Uh relies on your own creativity a little bit but half the times the like insults that barely make sense are the funniest ones because they're just like so ridiculous right yeah so it's like you just kind of throw some things together and it usually ends up working out all right is there voting how do you decide whether the like yeah how do you win can i win can i be good should i practice no, there is no. I mean, we even say in the rule book, like, stop trying to come up with an epic insult because the game's going to go worst for you if you're sitting there, like, right. trying to think up something amazing. Like, it's just like kind of throw it together, be silly, who cares? Um, so, the way the game works is everybody has life cards in front of them. So, I'm not insulting you, my friend Alex. Right. I'm insulting the life card in front of you that it's telling mm. me to insult. And 
So, so that would some, that's where it would give you like uh, Wi-Fi or cooking or eyebrows yes, or something. Exactly. You know, like I, you know, one of the insults that I will always remember that was like one of my favorites was someone had the word um, hamster in front of them, and someone was like, and and their insult cards had uh, the word night and the word obese, and they were like, your hamster's so obese it has to use a CPAP machine at night. Oh. <laughs> you know? Right. Like, okay. So you yeah. fill in the words around. It gives you the keywords and you fill in the yes. blanks. It yes. gives you a format and then you are filling in the blanks. And then the way the game works. So I'm insulting this lifeguard. The lifeguards have values on them of between one to four. Uh, and once you have insulted a lifeguard, then that person can either just let you have it or can get into a retort battle with you. And the retort battle uh, is sort of m- more structured. It'll be like a, a, a complete the sentence. You know, it'll be mm-hmm. like um, when you, your mom hasn't visited you in five years because dot, dot, dot. You know, right. And, okay. Yeah. And, yeah. It's like, like lightning round. Yes. And so you're you're retorting back and forth. And all you have to do to keep a retort battle going is match the color or the symbol like an Uno uh, oh. on the retort cards. And then whoever plays the last retort card wins that life card. And you go yeah. around the table a few different times. And then you add up the life cards that you've won. And whoever has the most points on their life cards wins. Yeah, I don't. So. I, like, I'm just kind of hearing about this now, but just listening to the way you describe it, even with like a lip, like way less context than you just ga- gave, I cannot imagine hearing this and being like, I need to tell the people making this that they are <laughs> cruel and mean. Actually, like, I'm glad yeah. you said that, Anthony, because not- um, we've been doing this new thing where we live stream the uh, podcast to certain people, and we just got an email in from a hamster who said, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that uh, happened, but wow, that's yeah, very mean. Ham, I mean, hamsters yeah. are particularly thin-skinned. So, yeah, I think probably literally true. But uh, but that's what I that's what I mean. Where I'm like, I don't want to make something that is mean. Like it, yeah. you know, profiting off abuse is not me. And so it's like, well, clearly this person didn't look up anything about the game or right. know anything about it, just saw it was an insult-based game. They didn't game see any of the cards, like, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just uh, especially just... considering this genre, like, you've got, like, you know, like, why isn't this person emailing, like, Cards Against Humanity people oh, or, like... Right, which is, sure. like, actually yeah. super offensive. Yeah, yeah exactly. super offensive stuff. Yeah. This game actually makes me think of, uh, have you ever played Fun Employed? No. Okay, so Fun Employed is a game sort of like this, uh, except the context for the comedy is that you're um, you're trying to get a job. So it's like okay. everybody will get dealt a card like you're you're trying uh. for this job and then they'll give you a bunch of qualifications, but the qualifications are all stupid um, and they don't make so any sense. Like so you're now your, you're trying your to work your dumb cards peddler, into this your job. Your qualification is your death. Yeah. Wait, Got what? It. This is just the, on their website. It's like the job is professional cuddler, qualification, deaf in one ear, furry, can't feel, uncontrollable gas. Right, but see... The thing about this game, too, is that it kind of has a Cards Against Humanity slant as far as uh, the general level of comedy yes. that these cards bring. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that well, seems like quite a writing challenge, Grant, for you to be like, how can I live in the insult world and be the right amount of silly? That sounds difficult. Totally. And we had people, you know, look through it, right? And like... You know, there were definitely cards we removed because it was like, you know, this isn't really 
exactly in the spirit of it, right? You know, I think we had a card that mentioned suicide and we were like, okay, that's like a little bit much, right? So we're going to take that one out. Yeah, yeah. That was a life card, I assume. Yeah, yeah. But I can't even remember all the ones. But, you know, it definitely was like it was a balance. And, you know, and cards like, you know, we want it to like, we think of it as like a like a PG 13 game, right? It's not for, it's not for younger kids. Um, but because it is the, um, it relies on your own creativity. There is a lot of like, it's going to be as dirty or as clean as the people playing it. Right. And and that's one of the things I like about the game. Like it's definitely PG 13, right? You're not going to say flaccid or things like that to, people and it like you know there's a card that says like this middle finger is for you right where it's like we're not saying fuck you on it but you know to an adult they get the like they get the nuance of that but it ends up being you know i've played this in a bar at midnight with people where it is super raunchy you know and i've played it with family members who are like just staying really silly and 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 light with it you know so is it is you, are you gonna do the thing like uno did where you're like special edition write your own fucked up stuff on it well where you right give us now, some blank cards yeah we do actually include a few blank cards oh, good in good, there good. So okay so, so my game can in. be rated nc-17 yeah totally. that's yeah. Yeah. alex is a big cards against yeah. humanity guys he, he likes the dirty yeah. cards Everyone knows about Alex. Super filthy. <laughs> yeah. Loves to be vulgar. Oh, so so uh, here's, yeah. the, here's the one thing. I, here's what I like about this. That I like my problem with cards against humanity is that the cards are doing all of the work. Oh, yeah. You have so no agency in the humor. Well, yeah. That yeah. and like the people who run it are absolute fucking monsters. And people <laughs> I don't know. So, I really I mean, like that's... how they just like dig a hole and fill it in. They seem fun. Oh, but, yeah. Like... I mean, but no, trust me. If you... Alex, you especially you as someone who loves to bring up like canceled people, you should check out Max Timpkin, the owner of Goes Against oh, really? Humanity. Yeah, He's I a mean, particularly bad person. Had a lot of issues, and I don't like that. But this is like it's like prompts. It's it, it feels it, this feels like a game that would be really good in like a Jackbox fun pack or something. Yeah, that, I agree like, with that. It's like if you get creative people and you add you add the parts that make it fun on top. It's like a, a the outline for creativity, which is a really fun genre of games. So I like it. This is totally. really excellent. So this is curmudgeongame.com. It does require you to learn how to spell curmudgeon. <laughs> Ooh, I'm not going to tell you. You got to figure it out on your own. But curmudgeongame.com. And this comes out um, the next 26th. Wednesday, the 20, 25th. 25th. Oh, from 25th Century Games. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, great. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. Congratulations on the game. We got Thank some you. shit to talk about. So let's do a quick recap of what else we're watching. And then we'll talk about um, the movie. So Hunter, what else have you been watching this week? Yeah, so uh, I'm still on my uh, Keanu Film Festival. Yes, um, excellent. I just also made a purchase that I want to uh, mention uh, real quick. I'm not, I'm not going to talk about this very much, but I bought the, uh, I think I uh, I sent you guys a you picture of it, it but yeah. I bought uh, the Ingmar Bergman Cri- Criterion Collection box set, which is uh, ridiculous. It has uh, 32 of uh, Ingmar Bergman's movies, which is way more Bergman than you don't need it. You don't get it. I, I can't recommend buying it, but I have it and I'm going to watch it. all these movies and they're all, they're all mostly, I watched the, they, it's funny. They, the way they put the box set together is as if it's a film festival and they've come up with their own order that you should watch them in. Which is oh, a little weird that they neat. give me the thing and they're like, do that's it like neat. this now. 
Well, but you can not. So it's like a neat suggestion. No, I can't, dude. They've they've told oh. me how it is, and it's like oh. they already got 150 of my dollars, and there's now... a punishment if you do it wrong. Yeah, or it just feels wrong, you know, because because Criterion, they're they're let's not let's not jump past this. Yeah, hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. So here's let me tell you what happened. So Barnes and Noble, <laughs> Barnes and Noble has this sale. I don't know if you know about this sale, uh, but there's no reason to buy Criterion except for two times a year in June, I think, and then in November, because um, oh. they do a fifty percent off Criterion sale, and that applies to everything. So what that means is this box set costs three hundo. But yeah, and oh wait, one fifty was the was the good price. That was the yeah. good price. Yeah, Alex, are you realizing for that one hundred and fifty dollars? That is roughly four dollars per movie. Like that's a pretty yeah. good deal if you think of it. It that is way. a good deal. Sure, and also, sure. I can sell also- all of the Bergman movies I already have, so it's not actually one hundred and fifty dollars, right? Like I'm going to sell those other movies and then make some money oh, back. Are. Yeah. You you could just pull them out. It's not like built. It looks like it's built into like a fancy book with all the DVDs. Oh no no no! Wait, here's what I'm saying. I I already well, own the other versions. I see. Yeah, yeah I yeah, now okay. own double of some of these movies, so now I can sell my doubles basically. So there you I, go. So I get it. That it's five dollars a movie, but it's just like any like best of collection where it's like, man, I really want these four movies, and I'm going to pay five dollars a movie for a bunch of other stuff I don't want. Yeah, well, I think the thing about this guy is that it's fun to watch whatever the heck he made because he's such a dark weirdo um that i mean i watched the i already watched the first movie i don't even remember what it was called but it was a comedy and i didn't think that and it made me laugh too that was wild it actually (laughs) made me laugh i'm not even going to recommend it or say what it is you don't need to watch it that's the thing about this collection you don't need to own it you don't need to watch a lot of these (laughs) movies but I'm watching them because I don't know. I'm dumb, I guess. Um, I what, what I will say is from the thing you sent me is that this is a gorgeous piece of yeah. uh, art to hold. And it's so beautiful. that's what I, I don't know where to put it, though. It's too yeah. big. It's too heavy. It, I don't <laughs> know where it goes. Also, Alex, I feel like, you, you know, a huge part of the Criterion's kind of like allure for film people is that there is like so much of what they do is about pitting a filmmaker in the context of their whole career or like uh, time and movement mm-hmm. so like getting all these extra movies and you get all the you know we talked a little bit off the line about like the supplementary material that came with yeah. it so like that's why it is well, they give you all that so like the right. it's like a film class want, yeah. It, yeah it literally it literally comes with a textbook that has, it's a 200 and 250 page book, like big book that just walks you through his whole career. So if you think about it, what I really did was I paid 150 bucks to take the most specific film class on this one guy that I could. That's, that's closer. So that's like 50 bucks a credit. That's reasonable. Way cheaper than an actual film class on Ingrid Bergman. If you wanted to take it, you know, that's probably true. Um, right. And the other thing, too, is if I took an actual class about Ingmar Bergman, I would have to take it with other people that wanted to take a class on Ingmar Bergman. And that is not acceptable. <laughs> Who wants to talk to them? No <laughs> way. Um, awesome. Anthony, what have you been watching? Uh, so uh, something that I've talked about in the podcast before, something my wife and I like to do is we do sort of like thematic double features. Yes. Sort of take two movies that are sort of tied together thematically or through actors or like very, very different. And we did one of those this week that was really, really fun. And I thought also like very present to the world we live in. And we did it by accident. We didn't, I didn't quite realize when I uh, picked these movies. 
uh, what they were about. But we we watched uh, back to back two movies uh, we had never seen before. We watched uh, James L. Brooks' Broadcast News and Michael hmm. Mann's The Insider. Uh, two both phenomenal movies, both about both incredibly present to like the world we live in right now because they're both about sort of the news and integrity and they're both really about the way like the biggest evil and the worst thing that can happen to a society is just like the lowering of standards you know like just slowly more than like outwardly being evil if you just lower the standards enough and you just keep doing this you eventually kind of get the world we're in now especially because you know both of these movies are about people who believe in the integrity of the news and what they're doing and really standing behind it. Uh, the insider and, was the second one you said. Yeah. The insider. Um, I'm, I'm not as familiar with that as I, I've seen broadcast news, but I've not seen insider. It, insider is a, it's Michael Mann. It's got Russell Crowe and Al Pacino. It's about the uh, 60 minutes broadcast of the guy who was a whistleblower on like cigarettes and how dangerous oh, they yeah. are. Yeah. Wait, maybe I did see that one. Okay, very, very good. I I loved both of them. I had I definitely uh, broadcast news is probably the one I'll revisit more because it's just a much more enjoyable movie. It's one of yeah, the funniest uh, and like also endearing and heartfelt movies. Like I'm a big uh, early James O. Brooks guy. I love all of his movies that he did. Um, so this was like kind of the one that I never saw, and I loved it. Uh, the I just figured it out. So I saw. I saw The Insider when I was watching a bunch of bank robbery movies because I thought I was watching Inside, Inside Man. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you're just you're just sitting there the whole time, like when is Mike Wallace gonna pull out his gun and hold up his bank? Well, I was like, I was thinking, I was like, this is not what I how this was explained to me, but maybe he like stole all this stuff anyway, and it's never happened. But no, yeah, so both of them are very good. I can't suggest them enough, and I think also they tie into something that I really enjoyed about Apocalypse Now which is like these three movies really reminded me something I've kind of talked about a lot recently about like movies for grownups, movie movies, movies made by directors who have visions and are trying to do something there. Like we just don't Mm -hmm. really get that anymore. Like people don't make movie ass movies. Like, yeah, they're trying to say something with it. You mean, yeah. yeah, and and just even not even like not even just like not like that plus the fact that they're not made for like kids and they're not like all ages and sanitized and like they're not like the point is fuck kids they're, yeah they're not Sick like of these kids with their like controlling the media well I just mean like noted to death everything is like very like you know we don't really get movies with like big filmmakers have a lot of money and can do stuff like Apocalypse Now is obviously we're gonna get to it but like. Inside Man has, like, very early on a lot of scenes that take place, I believe, in Iran. Um, And it's like, Michael Mann took Al Pacino to Iran to film, like, four (laughs) shots. And it's like, that's a fucking filmmaker right there. You know, like, actually actually doing it and getting there. And, like, it's just uh, both great movies. I really cannot suggest both of them enough. They're very, very different. Yeah. Um, but they also, like I said, really gave me a lot to think about. Just really like quick, which world. order did you watch them in? We watched Broadcast News, then The Insider. We oh, so you went, do... you went fun to serious. Yeah, we usually <laughs> try to do that. Like my, I would go the other way. Heather and I... I would try to sleep better. Well, one of our first dates we ever went on, like the first like double feature we did, we saw um, 
The Lion King 3D and Drive in theaters back to back. And that kind of set set the tone of like the fun one first and then the heavy one second. But that was like literally, that was like a probably like a third or fourth date. We did a double feature and we have kind of just been doing that for 11 years now. Um, Um, Grant, you were trying to get in here a second ago. What were you trying to say? Oh, I was. Sure. Uh, I was, uh, this is like the most LA funny story. Um, I got called into jury duty like two or three years ago. And Uh one of the jurors they picked was Michael Mann's wife. Uh, and Michael. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I didn't know what her name was, but, um, she was, you know, they 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 pick jurors, right? You get a bunch of jurors up there, and then they go through and they question jurors about like yeah. why why they would not be appropriate for the um for and the that's jury your big selection. moment to how to get out of this plan. Well, that's your chance. They, they grilled her so much on the fact that her husband makes like courtroom drama movies, uh-huh. and so like. Does she know too much about the courtroom system? And and like they were like, okay, and they just kept asking her, like, well, how how much do you know about how like how does your husband research courtroom stuff? How like are you ever part of that process? Like all of this wow. sort of stuff. And, and then did she and pass? then they re- they recused her. They, they recused did. her. They, they were like, you know too much. Did they you tell like- them you you know too much, and you are on the set of Miami Vice. You are real. You're a wild card. Um, Grant, did you tell him you're a comedian? I did. And how did they take that? I, so I actually had, oh man, it was such a perfect jury duty for me because, um, you know, you're like, you don't really want to do it. Um, and so sometimes people are like, oh, am I going to lie to get out of it? But I also don't want to lie. And the fact that like you've yeah. taken an oath, like yeah. means something to me. Yeah, um, you're a big oath guy. Everybody knows that. About yeah, me. yeah, totally. But as soon as they like said the details of the case, I was like, oh, I can tell the truth and get out of this super easily. <laughs> this is perfect because the, um, the, uh, case was about a motorcycle driver and a truck had like turned and then the motorcycle driver hit the truck and was like suing the truck and stuff like that and no joke like a week like maybe six months before this my motorcycle had gotten stolen and a week before i got called for jury duty they had found my motorcycle called stolen by a truck yeah weird i know no but they had (laughs) They had called me. The police department was like, hey, we have your motorcycle. It'll be $300 to get it out of the, like, (laughs) and I was like, no, 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 it got stolen. And they were like, yeah, well, we have it. And you gotta, you gotta pay for it. And I was like, why do I have to pay? What? It's weird because when the the police called you and for some reason, all they did over the phone was show you pictures of letters cut out of magazines (laughs) that spelled this. Totally. (laughs) <laughs> but they called me up to jury duty and and uh you know the the uh you know I'm just like being whatever dumb and also I was like very heated about that whole motorcycle situation because it had yeah. just happened like less than a week before so that the judge calls my name and I'm like yo and that like that's how I respond 
I'm like, yeah. yo. And the judge goes, are you a poet or something? <laughs> <laughs> because I said, yo. Classic poetry. Yeah. Always yeah. starting with yo. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm a comedian. And they were like, and he, I think the judge literally was like, uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> Wait, this, so, so this is different in L.A. Because when I did, I would assume. Yes, this is when, in L.A. When I was in Portland, I got called for jury duty. And I was in this stage. And I was like so confident that I was like, I'm going to tell them I'm a comedian. And they are going to immediately get rid of me because they just don't want the bother. And they were yeah. like, so what do you do for a living? And I was like, I'm a comic. And the prosecution and the defense both look at each other for a second and then just nod and move on. And then I was on the jury. Oh, they, oh really? Like, it was the craziest thing. I was like, for sure, this will get me out. And they were both like, hell yeah, we would love a comic on this jury. I, it was bizarre. I don't know what they saw in me, but they yeah, thought so, for sure I was good or couldn't possibly be bad. I don't know. It was weird. So I was like, you know, I had complained to the police department that they were making me pay for my own thing that yeah. got stolen but that fell on real deaf ears so i was in this courtroom and i was like well, well he's not i'm really, for sure yeah, gonna bring listeners. it up to the system right right <laughs> now and so they were like do you have any opinions on motorcycles and i was like well yeah as a matter of fact i do okay because and i like i i even swore i felt a little bit bad about that because i just got like passionate and i was like Tell me this, Judge, okay? My motorcycle got stolen, and they're making me pay for it. Fuck that. Why is that part of the system? You should change that. That doesn't make any sense. It's not my fault. You're punishing me a second time for getting my motorcycle stolen. I'm here. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, like, said, fuck you you to the system in the courtroom and stuff like that. Uh, So they recused me right after that. What you have to do at that point is just steal $300. You know, yeah. it's like a oh, woman who swallowed the fly situation. You know, right, right. You got to keep all going up. Crime just, you know, leads to another. What I like about this picture in my head, uh, as you're walking out of the courtroom, Summer Man is like, "You were that was some badass stuff," and the, and now you guys are like friends. <laughs> yeah, you sure told that judge to fuck off. I'm gonna tell my husband about this. We have a new movie. <laughs> all right, uh, um, Grant. What else have you been watching this week? Well, I've been mostly focused on TV uh, just because I've been laid up a bunch and it's nice to like catch up on some shows I haven't watched before. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of my roommates and I have gotten real into The Alienist uh, over the last week. Alienist? I know. It's not. It is not. It's a TNT show. Uh, which is not something I would. The cast is really good in that, right? The cast is excellent. Daniel Bruhl and... Daniel Bruhl, Dakota Fanning, Luke Evans, uh, and then those are like the three main cast, but a lot of other people that you would recognize too. It's also one of the things I like about it is it's um, historical fiction, essentially. Yeah. Um, it it focuses it's a period on, show. It looks like I'm not seeing is, any it, aliens in these pictures, though. No, and one of the dumbest, funniest things about it is they have a a description at the start of literally every single f- episode, <laughs> which is so dumb that it's there. I'm like, I get it the first time, but it's every episode. <laughs> it it says like people in the 1800s who were um, (laughs) people in the 1800s who were mentally unfit were deemed to be divorced from themselves and were Uh thought to be alien from their own minds. 
Hence, the people that worked on people's minds were Seriously, called alienists. At some point when you're writing this, why not just be like, we could change the title? Yeah, yeah. it could be a little more yeah. accessible, maybe. We, yeah, we could make this not a bait and switch so that we don't but have to apologize funniest, beforehand. The funniest thing is like, you know, the ninth or tenth episode still says that thing. So is there somebody that for like nine episodes has been watching this like, when are the goddamn aliens getting here? This is 100% for me. This is yeah. for the guy who three quarters of the way through Insider was waiting for a bank robbery. This is yeah, definitely yeah. a message to and for me, and I appreciate them continuing to do it. It's basically like a show about a psychiatrist, like a doing like psychological profiles of a murderer before that was a thing, right? Yeah. An early person talking about how we could solve these crimes by profiling the killer instead of just looking for clues, right? Yeah, in- instead uh, of um instead of just leeches. Yeah. So, could, you know, instead of um but instead of divining rods. I'm trying to think about the 1800s great, ways of solving crimes. Yeah, yeah. They do a great job with the historicity of it, which I like. You know, it's yeah. it's very visually stunning all the time. It does um, look beautiful in these pictures. Yeah, and it's uh and it involves some actual characters like Teddy Roosevelt was the police commissioner at the time when this show takes place. So Teddy Roosevelt is a prominent um secondary character. Oh, wow, they got Teddy Roosevelt? That's yeah, I know. It's weird. Uh yeah that's um, cool i have a question so, about this show real quick because um, yeah. i'm looking at the wikipedia article here and i saw something that caught my eye that seems wrong but maybe it's right it says the production location for this show is budapest hungary mm. it says it's set in new york city so that seems mm-hmm. like pretty wild that they would be like yeah, i mean where should we shoot that is surprising how, i mean it probably has you know architecture that is more similar to that time and it costs you know a tenth of what it well, yeah, i assume it, the answer is that it's to avoid unions right yeah oh well, sure not, yeah not it's even, always not that even, not even that because you know the actors and a lot of the crew will be union it's just literally just a dollar goes a long way especially for like right. a D show it's right it's why you know paul ws anderson shoots all his movies in like hungary you know yeah it's just, I mean, well, it's gonna, just New York is, I guess it really is backsliding at this point because they can't even keep yeah. their shows at this point. Hungary <laughs> is taking over New York yeah. City. Um, it is, uh, it does seem like the flights would add up, but I guess I don't know enough about costs for these things. Um, let's take a, we're going to continue on our geographical adventure because it is time to move from Hungary to Vietnam because this is, we're, we're going to get started on this. Uh, but, but before we get into the movie, I'm going to tell you what else I've watched this week. Which is, you guys have been begging for this for for weeks and weeks. Oh and weeks. yeah, uh, everybody shut up! Everybody shut fi- up! <laughs> okay, so it's finally happened. So, quick recap: as many of you may remember, my wife and I decided during um, our COVID times that we were going to use our lunches together to learn stuff we didn't know anything about, and so we're watching documentaries to learn about our world, and we call it school lunch, and we watch really mostly long documentaries in 15 minute chunks because she's very adamant about getting back to work on time so um we watched ken burns civil war um uh, which as you may recall is um revisionist horseshit um and then um by like two months ago now we finished our second gigantic undertaking which was ken burns the vietnam war 
And uh, I have been teasing it for this segment for for so many weeks and partially like the first two times it was on accident. And then I had scheduled this with Grant for when his game was coming out. And so I wanted to hang on to it so I could talk about Vietnam all in one day. So (laughs) joke concluded. We did it. We got here. Um, Yeah, we're there. No, we're we're at the joke now. And now is the time for it to blow me away because it's been weeks of buildup. Oh, no, 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 no. no, That was the joke. Now we're at just me talking about a boring movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. So if if that if you didn't like that, it is downhill from here. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll so remember this next time more. you go for some sort of running gag. Okay. <laughs> it's the journey, not the destination. Um, unless you're going to Disneyland with kids. Um. So okay. So this is a little while ago. Um. But I, I here's my the, my best memory of it, which was that um this is a long movie. Um. And when you do it 15 minutes at a time, like most days, it felt like we weren't making any progress we would like stop it and it felt like we had not we'd like look at the progress bar and be like we're still in the same it's, place it's kind of like a real meta way to watch it because that's what the yeah, war felt yeah. like if yeah they- even even the ending of the war after the war was over it still felt like it was dragging on and on and <laughs> i felt most of the time watching the movie i was like trying to figure out like what why did i even commit to this in the first place and um i didn't remember but i was like we got to stick it out you know we started it we can't leave now it would do more damage than if we stayed and um the real question was like was it worth the human cost because it was really um unpleasant anyway you get it um and a long time after watching i'm still haunted by it there you go that's that joke okay so that out of the way i will say uh the main thing that i took away from it (laughs) was that it's way better than the civil war documentary it's like it it i mean I, i don't I assume that they're telling the truth. I've, my other reading about it seems to be that it is pretty accurate, unlike this, the Civil War one. But it's um, uh, it's a really interesting portrayal. It does actually, um, it goes way further into the Vietnamese side of it, which makes sense for a Vietnamese Civil War um, that we just happened to be involved in. Um, but it was I, that was super interesting. Um, but the main problem with it, for me personally, my issue with it, is that, and this is my fault for not realizing it, but like the Civil War had a lot of photos it had more photos than I expected, but they're not super clear. Lenses weren't great and they're just photos, but it turns out the Vietnam war, we just filmed a lot of atrocities. And so you can just put them in a movie that I have to watch during lunch. Right. So it Ugh. was a much more brutal lunchtime yeah. watch than the civil war. The civil war had some gross stuff, piles of arms, for example, but this, uh, this was just, there's so many people that they just show, burning alive and getting shot and it's just uh really not a good lunchtime watch i don't know when is a good time to watch hours and hours of this awful thing but well i mean that's that's something about the vietnam war just in general right it was the first war that was shown at home you know in in people's homes and led i mean that's why it led to such a counterculture Yeah. yeah yeah Uh, and that yeah which is super interesting um and also unpleasant i don't like it i don't want it um but um so i just gotta ask you a question though because you've watched this whole documentary now um vietnam war yay or nay (laughs) (laughs) great question i appreciate that um i always like to give a, a thumbs up thumbs down to every war um you know, it's a lot to take in. It's like, you know, 300,000 Americans and allied allies died. 500,000 North Vietnamese soldiers died. Another 600,000 Vietnamese civilians died. All because President Johnson didn't want to look like a pussy. Right. And that <laughs> is, it's like tough to weigh those two things out. Like, do I feel <laughs> like that? Because I don't, you know, I wouldn't want people to think I was weak if I was from Texas. And so right. yeah. and I'm I mean, probably you, willing to go pretty far. 
you like Johnson constantly make people go in the bathroom with you when you take a shit and you know talk about how you sit on your balls all the time and I do these are common you know, Alex that, traits all that stuff that Johnson and Alex are known to do you know yeah we I mean I to be fair he did it first I, it's more oh, unlike yeah, hack Johnson yeah. um I'm copying Johnson's traits um yeah, no, I, I'm 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 gonna say nay on the Vietnam Vietnam War. I'm against it. I wish it hadn't. It ha- wish it hadn't happened. I mean, one of the things that's fucked up about it is that um, it, we, the, the movie shows a lot more about also what's going on at home, and a lot of the people at home at the time were also being shitty. Mm. Uh, and so there's a lot of people who are protesting it, and not and I'm not not that they are even on both sides, but there were times where there would be like so, you know. Um, famous actor goes to vietnam and is like all soldiers are war criminals and should not be allowed back home and you're like well i don't feel like you're helping yeah Um, (laughs) so there was there was some stuff like that where i was like normally i'm on your side in the night but now it's just anyway it it's so it's also so weird because this is like the most i've ever put into learning about a history thing that i could have just asked my dad about Mm. um all right so uh, my parents were my you know my my dad was in the navy during the Viet- vietnam war he was wasted um during that war um so he was not particularly involved in most of it but like um this is like I, so after i finished watching this movie i'd be like hey dad so tell me more about your time in th- in this war um and uh and why didn't you get more involved is my question why weren't you helping more yeah why um, didn't you go kill more charlie while you were over there <laughs> <laughs> he yeah, my um, yeah. Anyway, he uh, he was he was not actually in country. He was wasted in other parts of the world. But um, he uh, yeah. Anyway, so it's just like it's also weird where like this is the edge of like what is something that could be in a historical document that also my parents can talk about. It's like right at that junction. Anything earlier, they're not going to have much. They don't have much to say about Korea, and then they also don't have much to say about or like not. They've they've plenty to say about Iraq. It's like anyway. So it's just kind of an interesting moment in time. Anyway, that's my. Yeah, I mean, my my favorite thing about the documentary, uh, besides, I really love the music, the Trent Reznor score. For yeah, it, I mentioned but, that before, that I feel like you know, this is like a really well-scored war. But to me, the history of Vietnam as was something I wasn't like before America's involvement. Like my totally. the thing that stands out the most to me from that all the documentary is there's a thing about how like, you know, like the French were there way before us and they kept yeah. French and British would have made and like when American troops first showed up there's a story of a bunch of people running out thinking they were French and like pre-surrendering to them yeah uh and it's just like what like years of imperialism does to a cultural psyche um yeah and that, so I mean that's exactly what it is it, it's the it's a movie about sort of the end of an imperialistic time and how that's not super smooth either Although it is one of the things that's so crazy about it is that this was a French imperialist thing that they left and let up. They like we slid into, yeah, yeah, right. and then France left and was like, "Hey, have fun." Um, it's a really bizarre situation, but that's exactly right. I knew nothing about Vietnam before the war or the Vietnamese sides of the civil war. So that was one of the things I thought they did a really good job of in the movie. Um, um, it is going to inform a lot how I talk about this movie because, like the we are definitely going to talk about our movie today in terms of a movie but also i have thoughts about vietnam now as, and um so that's going to color a little bit i think what i'm going to want to talk about but let's get into our main segment for today so this week uh, our topic is as we've uh, suggested already apocalypse now the 1979 film directed by francis ford coppola and starring little baby icon marty short and his well, little baby buddy even, harry ford 
even uh, baby uh, Lawrence Fishbone. Yeah, very baby. Who's the wait, Laurie Fishburne? Where was he? He's uh, are you he's serious? Mr. He's Mister Clean. He is. Yeah, yeah, yeah dude, that was Cowboy yeah. Curtis. He was. I 16, did not realize that. I think he when you 16. filmed this. No, yeah. they so so he lied about his age, and he was fourteen what? when he got no. cast Whoa. in that no. thing. But was the character is seventeen. And because of all the problems that they had on set, he ended up being like 16, 17 when they were actually <laughs> filming. <laughs> he aged into the role? Yeah. Oh, shit. I totally see it now, but I did yeah. not realize that. But yeah. yeah. Oh, baby, Lawrence Fishburne. I mean, this such whole... a little baby. Yeah, he yeah. was He was such a kid, he was credited as Larry Fishburne. Yeah, you know, the game that I was <laughs> yeah. playing with their names, he really was. Um, yeah. That's cute. Um, and then, of course, it also is starring Marlon Brando's headshot. Um. Yeah, <laughs> Roland Brando's giant body, uh, silhouette yeah. in darkness, silhouette uh, darkness, and a lot of the photo of him. That that headshot got a lot of play. Um, I know it is funny when you're like, I mean, Marlon Brando gets top billing in the yes, film. Yeah, it, kept, right. it said starring Marlon like, Brando, and then it is not really. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, just imagine if he had showed up prepared and underweight, like he promised. <laughs> Uh, instead of showing up not prepared and 50 pounds heavier than he was when they cast him, you know, like, yeah. Oh, I didn't even think about that, but he does look well fed for what seems to have been a yeah. tough life. No, that's why yeah. he is. He is shot the way he is. He was supposed really? to, he was supposed to lose 30 pounds. He ended up gaining 50 more. And okay, look, I get that. I mean, that's certainly also a story I have been a part of, but yeah, he just like, you know, this was, the beginning of Brando, you know, starting to just not give a fuck. Yeah. And, uh, you know, no, he's the greatest actor in the world. And they, all no of his kidding. lines are just on cue codes in front of him. And no he's, or he's just making it up. They also just yeah. shot him just like saying shit and, yeah. and just seeing if it sounded good. You know what? Like, that makes <laughs> sense. Cause a lot of the things he says are kind of cheesy and dumb. Yeah. They're uh, just kind of pulled out of nothing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, this was, you know, this was like the beginning of that sort of Brando as the, you know, the guy. I was wondering, I was wondering, I don't know a lot about this, but I was wondering while we were seeing him in the temple, I was like, is this the movie where he insisted on having a little person with him at all no, times? that was Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, okay. Okay. Was, I don't, uh, I just a vague story someone told me one time and I was like, as it was happening. further like, into be? his own butt by the time they were making that movie. <laughs> no. Right. So. Let me two quick things before we get back into the movie. So before we go deep into it, first, um, why are we watching Apocalypse Now now um, and not Apocalypse <laughs> before? So uh, this was uh, selected in conjunction in a conversation with Grant. Grant, why did this movie appeal to you when we were talking about movies? Well, I haven't seen a lot of the classics. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't know why. Me too. I, you know, I, I like movies yeah. a lot that are coming out and and maybe trailers work on me a bunch. So I want to see the movies that are oh, um, interesting current a lot. Um, yeah. And I haven't gone back and seen some, you know, I've never seen citizen Kane. I've never seen Lawrence of Arabia. I've never seen gone with the wind. All of Man, that. Except for that stuff. third one. This really is part of the, the reason why season three of Rain weep is about uh, a slightly condescending film school. And right. it's because it's not just that trailers work on me. It's because it's rare that there's a conversation where I'm like, Man, the fact that I just watched Lawrence of Arabia is really helping in this modern dialogue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So finding but, a reason so, to watch, where it's like everyone's talking about that 
chess lady, no one is talking about uh, about watching Apocalypse Now. So yeah, it, it does, you have to have to you have to set aside some time to go through the old catalog. You have to do it on purpose, for sure. And and so this was just one of those movies that was sort of in that category of look. I know this is like considered a top fifty film of all time, and it probably is worth me seeing all of those at some yeah. point. Uh, and so, yeah, and that's you're, and you're also particularly interested in history. So there yes, is a, a side note for there. sure. For sure. Um, yeah. Have you watched the, the Vietnam documentary? I have not. No, you know, a lot about uh, the Vietnam war. I do know a decent amount. I was a okay. history major in college and took a Vietnam history class and that's oh, cool. Of okay, stuff. good. So when I have questions, I can defer. I, cause I, this is the problem is I feel like I'm fired up about it. And I do not remember details very well. So it's going to okay. be a weird. I'm going to have some weird <laughs> conversations where I'm like, I know I feel a certain way, but I cannot prove it. Yeah. yeah. Um, if Just for people at home who have not watched Apocalypse Now from 1979, please enjoy my patented five sentence summary of this movie. People always look forward to these. They're very popular. Uh, all right. Here's my five sentence summary of Apocalypse Now. A lot of commas in this one, too. Everybody's heart has a couple of parts, a part for lightness and a part for the opposite. You can decide what that is. Um, and this one is more about that darkness heart. I, I think you get what I'm saying. The army has a problem. Colon. One of their best and brightest special force leaders who looks kind of like Marlon Brando has gone all in on crazy, taking his team and starting a violent war cult in the jungle with himself as a god who commits war crimes at will and recites poetry as long as it's poems that are related specifically to the book Heart of Darkness. So the army brings in Marty Sheen, a mentally ill American soldier living in Vietnam who has no special skills besides getting drunk and punching mirrors, and sends him on a suicide mission into the heart of darkness, I mean, the heart of the Vietnam Vietnamese slash Cambodian jungle, to kill cult man. Along the way, they meet some fun folks. It's kind of like a road trip comedy through the jungle. Um, <laughs> they meet some fun folks like surfing colonel and helicopter strippers and bolt full of in innocent Vietnamese civilians that they war crime. And then a circus themed bridge with no leader and an indigenous warrior tribe painted to look like spooky ghosts and an American photographer who drank all of Brando's Kool-Aid and a fair amount of other 1960s drugs. And then finally, Marlon Brando lets Marty Sheen kill himself. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that you get from that description the abruptness of the ending. Uh, I think you can tell my opinion on that from the way I summarize that. But that's the film. That is yeah, I, uh, Apocalypse Now. You know the biggest thought I had while watching this movie last night? So I haven't seen this in a long time, but uh, I was watching it and I got this like sinking, incredibly depressed feeling that like Code of Darkness was written in 1899. And mm -hmm. the last 121 years of American history has been the American government being like, but we can make a war that's more relevant to this material. <laughs> like it, it seems like the entire American experience for the last 100 years has been like, yeah, like that. That Vietnam's pretty good, like subject matter to have her to do this too. But like, we can make a more fucked up We can get closer yeah. to the we spirit can, of the novel. Yeah, we can really like refine the violence and killing of the war machine to really make this material pop. Uh, yeah, like, I totally, I I totally agree with that. And also, something the my sinking dark sad feeling was like I I always forget this except for when I sit down and watch the movie, but like people like quote apocalypse now 
like in the light of day, like it's just like a fun yeah. movie to quote. Yes, I have heard those. And it makes you feel sick when you watch yeah. it. So it's just weird that it's also like, you might just be watching like daytime TV and somebody will be like, I love the smell of napalm in the morning. Am I right, yeah. fellas? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. My wife and I were talking about this and I was trying to explain to her that like, you know, whether this is like, first off, there's you know, the grand sort of theory that you it's impossible to make an anti-war movie. Because war is cinematic, you know? And it's like, I was like, you know, there are people who believe Apocalypse Now is a pro-war movie. And my wife was like, she could not wrap her head around that. And like every horrible scene, she'd be like, how can anyone think about this? And I would explain to her, like, have any of you ever read Jarhead or seen the movie? Mm -mm. No, Uh, I haven't. It's a movie. It's a memoir about the Gulf War. And the soldier who wrote it talked about how the night before they went over to uh, fight in Desert Storm, the army screened Apocalypse Now for them to oh. get them psyched up. And oh, he, heck, he, dude. Just, he just explains them like sitting, like all these soldiers just sitting in a screening room and like, and, like you know, the fucking, the whole napalm surfing scene was just like people cheering and screaming and like getting fucking psyched up to go to war. Well, and, so... So just to sp- that that quote you said, the thing is, is, it's impossible to make an anti-war movie because it's so cinematic. I guess it feels like there's. So, so my question is twofold here: is like, do you think that it was a full-on effort to make an anti-war movie and it doesn't work because people are always going to take it wrong, or do you think they weren't trying that hard? No, I definitely. Oh. I mean, Francis Ford Coppola has some really interesting things about how he, you know, I, he definitely wanted to make like the definitive vietnam war movie that was yeah, which, which is already crazy because it like happened a week before he started right this. yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, not get mean, a lot of distance between him and the vietnam war before he tried to make the definitive I movie mean, well actually i mean if you want to get into like the history of this movie originally when it was when george lucas was gonna make this on oh my god a, i'm so glad you mentioned that what when he was, george <laughs> lucas, so, i yeah. saw this on the wikipedia page and i was like there's no fucking way i can can you imagine lucas directing this movie there'd be ewoks well, in cambodia well, for sure people used no, to think no, that no, well no, lucas used to be no, like a cool weird guy not yeah, like I mean, you should watch thx or american graffiti before like his pre-star wars movies but okay. he was originally going to shoot this with john millis's script on 16 millimeter during the war with soldiers oh, shot like documentary style. So he was going wow. to go like full on, go to Vietnam, find soldiers, cast them, and then make this movie there. Oh. And it was going to look like all handheld and super low budget. Like that's what George Lucas used to want to be. He wanted to be wow. a avant-garde filmmaker. And then Star Wars happened and it like, he just became that. He's like, oh, no, like, what I like is ruining kids' movies. Uh, money's yeah. cool, too, though. <laughs> yeah. bro. And, and it's, like, it's that, like, responsibility that he felt for. But anyway, but it gets, so oh, yeah. this was originally supposed to be that. And, like, so this taking so long to come out. And, like, but my, my point, what I was trying to get yeah. at what Francis Coppola has said about this movie is that he's, like, he calls it an anti-lie movie, right? So, yes. like, what the movie ultimately is, it's, like, whether or not you think it's pro or bad, it is like truthful and honest. It is like, yeah. what is a relationship? It's interesting thing to say since it makes up most of the details. Well, it's it's not about, it's not a documentary. It's taking this old story, you know, a, a hundred, a almost 100-year-old n- novella yeah. and adapting it to this thing. But I think that it's like, 
I, that's the thing, I read that anti-lie thing, and that's the thing that's hardest for me to wrap my mind around. If you said, like, I'm just trying to show this war, and you can make up your mind, but if you say specifically, I'm trying to end the lies, and you make up all of the details all in cool ways or ways that don't make any sense with the movie or with the actual war, it feels pretty weird. Well, it, well let's, 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 what do you mean specifically? Yeah. Like, and what are you talking about? Alex, you need to like one break, like between what was known at the time in 19, the seventies and what like, you know, now so that's, that's, fair. that's a totally fair point. 40 year. But like, so, so for example, the, um, so like the whole Marlon Brando world of him in the jungle and his theory on it is that like, these are in, like his, his, his story about the, the, the baby arms about how Vietnamese people are so good at atrocities and so confident and comfortable with horrible things that they're the better soldiers and we want them on our side. And then also surrounding himself with an indigenous tribal people who use spears and arrows that like both of those are things that are that did not happen so the baby arms is not a real story and then also there were not indigenous tribes that were killing people with arrows that were part of this it's like an incredibly modern country with modern weapons and modern war techniques that was also not a bunch of noble savages who are willing to kill everybody of their own to make all this happen so it's like two weird western myths layered over what we think the vietnamese people were that's the what, and so to say that that's like, like this is our this is our truth movie is to really push this western noble savage myth uh which i, I mean it, that so to your point anthony that makes a lot of sense for the 70s because that was like a lot of this war was people in america not bothering to learn about the vietnamese people and assuming that they were a certain kind of noble savage it's like well, really I, I, weird um colonialist I, stuff still happening I, from america yeah. You're also kind of misinterpreting, I think, the point of the like the the point of the source material and the movie, right? The, I think that a huge part of what Heart of Darkness is about is like this idea of the the noble savage and like the civilized man that there, there's no difference between us, right? That we're all the same. We're just as good or as bad as we think they are. Right, like, but but the, the but the heart of darkness is like a famously extremely racist book because it's still making up what the civ like the that this to say there's no difference, but to illustrate one side as a side that does not exist, that's still weird and that's still untruthful. But I mean, again, you have to think about like you know the context of the time in which it was written, like kind of what the story is trying to go to, and like to my thing with like you know, there were colonels in Vietnam who went off the reservation like this, you know, like there's a specific one that was like the guy who, you know, got famous for, you know, the, you know, the famous image of like walking around with a necklace filled with ears was like yeah. an actual guy who you know yeah. had soldiers do that kind of stuff. And like, there are like, there's, I, I think of it as like, there's truth to like these atrocities throughout history. And that's kind of like the thing about like, what this movie and the story is getting at that. I do think that it is supposed to be like, it's supposed to be pretty fantastical in the end, but that's not what I think he means by when he's talking about like the lie. I think he's talking about like the way this movie constantly does this like great juxtaposition of like, there's like a shot of a fishing boat. And then as the camera pans down, it's a bunch of dead bodies, right? It's just, this this constant, you know, people, uh, you know, this this really nice peaceful village before they come in and raid it just to surf you know like the whole movie is about like showing the actual like cause and effect and like what the damage that we're doing and the way like we corrupt 
every single part of this country that we touch. Well, and also just, I, I think the thing, the, maybe the, when it comes to the anti-lie comment, I feel like the idea of seeing this movie at that time and watching just like the idea of the fact that basically everyone you see is a war criminal Mm-hmm. And that being just like, yep, that's that. And, and then there's like the, the the whole fact that the plot is about one war criminal that isn't doing it quite right, that needs right. to be killed. But the, yeah, all the other war criminals are A-OK. I, I feel like when they say anti-lie, that's more in a in a gut reaction, like what they mean by that. Yeah. And just yeah, the way that point. movies portray World War II before this, right? Like there's this whole yeah, that's- American... Uh, jingoistic propaganda that it runs through all kind of classic war films and still happens today. I mean, the fact that people make Vietnam movies when like the heroes of the Americans like to this day, like that still happens. It's just like, that's what I think this movie is trying to get at more than um, necessarily being honest in terms of like, well, this actually happened and this actually happened. You know, like he's trying to portray the quagmire and the chaos of the war and the sort of insanity of it, right? Yeah, yeah. I, but I do think it's fair for Alex to bring up that there is the kind of expense of that is like essentially the Vietnamese in the movie are just like other, and they're they don't have they don't, any, there's not a single Vietnamese person who gets a name or who gets to or speak. A li- yeah, or line yeah, or anything. No, yeah, there's no. It, it is just like how Americans went in without a single translator or learning anything about Vietnamese, and then see um, that's a, so the problem with it though is like I think. I hear you and I like think all that's gross, but it's almost like the movie is reproducing the grossness in the war. So it, it like gets tangled up in that for me. And then it makes it like, like hard to, it's like, I don't know. Is there like this meta thing going on of like the movie being just as problematic and nasty as the war itself is mm-hmm. like, and, and, or yeah, is there any awareness not, there? I, I don't know. Grant's tried a couple times to get in. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. Well, I I was just going to say, I think um, what you guys were saying about like sort of the difference between World War Two and Vietnam is to me the the main crux of it here. Right. It's it's so easy with World War Two to be like, we were the good guys. They're the bad guys. Right. right? Because because there is a figure like Hitler and because the Holocaust was wrapped up in World War Two, where, you know, in this sort of telling the truth where, yeah, okay, not everything's truth, but it's like, oh, we can also be bad too. Even in Vietnam where you just don't see that depiction in world war two sort of films at all, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, we we're also the bad guys sometimes. Yeah. And you know I, mean, I mean, we don't, uh, America doesn't like to acknowledge its faults. Mm-hmm. with stuff yeah so, so, yeah, so mean, that fact although yeah although that gets complicated by the fact that people think that it's real and think that it's cool so that's that point that anthony's making earlier which is like if if the point is to show that we're not cool and it's it's gross and we're all war criminals but then everyone is like what a cool war criminal with his awesome hat um that that does make that less powerful well, i think that's just a sign that whatever whatever fucked up part of us we've kind of saw on display in vietnam still exists and it's in like even just like regular people in america yeah and i yeah. think that's what's so interesting about vietnam is it is like such this fulcrum of like the american conscious right like i do think that in a lot of ways the sort of like 
constant war and like especially the forever wars we're in now is like so much of that is driven by we need to right the wrong of Vietnam and not necessarily righting the actual wrongs but the wrong that is like the American ego like before that we were unstoppable we fucking conquered everywhere we went we were badasses and then we got our asses kicked uh for you know 10 years in this horribly violent awful thing and mm-hmm. it like wrecked America's psyche and I think that that is not only like a part of this movie and a part of American culture but like a huge part of this movie is that like it is it is Willard's point of view right it is through his fucked up incredibly damaged psyche like there's so much that goes into the idea that this is a guy who already got his chance to go home could not re like acclimate to the world that he had left and decided to go back to vietnam he just needed that right there's already something so broken in this man from the moment we meet him like he we meet Mm -hmm. him a broken mess in a room going stir crazy because he doesn't know how to live a normal life anymore. And like his, so much of like the way the world is portrayed is like through his point of view, through his sort of like hallucinatory, hallucinatory, like kind of crazy off kiltered um, experience to it. And I think that's like a big part of what this movie like is trying to go at. And to your other point, Alex, I, I personally think that like, Bad media literacy is not something to hold against a piece of art, right? Like, I think that we sort of brought this up with other movies, but I think that because a lot of people misinterpret what a piece is trying to be, that's on them and their media. That's not not against the piece. hmm. And like to hold it against the piece, I think is like incredibly unfair and says more about like the people than it does about the work, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't. I wouldn't agree with that as a platitude to apply to just like whatever. But I might agree in this case because it's just so wild to me that people can watch these scenes and not just feel really sick in the tum tum. <laughs> like it just, I don't <laughs> yeah. get it. Like, well, this might be like a, a you know a weird comparison, but think of something like the the Chappelle Show, where. Mm-hmm. Chappelle mm-hmm. has talked about how, you know, he was really trying to point out racism mm-hmm. and um and and one of the reasons he walked away from that show was he was getting like white people coming up to him at a restaurant and and being like oh that's so funny you did this and he's like no I'm making fun of you yeah. and you're not you're not getting and he he's I've watched some interviews where he was like I was trying to point out all this stuff through humor and i felt like it ended up contributing to it instead of you know highlighting it and i didn't want to do that anymore i think it's a great comparison and i do and i would my hesitancy to agree with um giving artists a pass when people misinterpret their work is that there's been so much evidence that humanity does not understand satire that if you're doing satire now with the assumption that it'll work you have to be pretty ignorant um, which I, I, like, I especially post Chappelle show. Um, but I, so I, I, and there's a lot of good research about how satire never works and only reinforces people's racism. That's more new than it was at the time of this movie. I guess what I feel like more with the movie is if your goal is truth, it seems like you would take the time to learn something about the war you're making a movie about. It just, the, the overwhelming uh, feeling of it is like this is not particularly related to the war you're covering. These are not 
realistic portrayals. It feels, um, I, and I, I will say like a, uh, my main credit to the way I'm feeling about all of this was this, um, piece in the guardian I read by a, a Vietnamese American, uh, writer talking about it when it came out with the special edition in 2000 about just how unrelated this was to any part of the war. Most of the time, how, how, just bonkers the portrayals of things are like like among other things like the whole the whole month on journey down this river where they encounter people like once every three or four weeks is like this is a crowded urban core river that is just cities packed to the gills every mile of this river and they're like oh we're making this this wild jungle of the philippines that is how we picture vietnam in our heads which is like the problem of the otherness and it's the problem that comes from Mm -hmm. heart of darkness so it does seem like there's a little bit of like willful ignorance of the thing you're trying to portray that is understandable that you don't have a ton of distance from it and that you weren't in the war or whatever in some ways but then to say that your whole thing is truthfulness that just sounds like self-deception i i I think maybe it it i don't it's hard because it's like we've got this like book that has its own problems and then we've it's, got it's the, like famous for being one of the most problematic books. It's not just like has some it's like everyone's like, oh, Heart of Darkness, the racist book. Like that's how it's like that's why we talk about it. That's yeah, how people, but even but even the book, I mean, like, yeah, it's a problematic book, but it also has like and, and it probably shouldn't be. I mean, I agree with people saying like it shouldn't be taught. Like, why is this like a priority to teach this in school? But when they taught it to me in school, it wasn't like it was couched in this criticism of colonialism. So it's not, it's, it's a more complicated problem when it comes to like, just saying like, Oh, this is problematic. Like this isn't like Quentin Tarantino saying the N word in his movies where it's like, I don't know why that's it there. That has, you know, that's just weird. And he just like keeps doing it. And it's like, you're creepy. But, but if the, I don't know. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's like, it gets complicated if the message is almost completely the opposite direction but it's like these people to me, especially with the novel, it's like to me, it just seems like Conrad is like not big enough or smart enough to understand that he's not hitting the mark. Does that make sense? And maybe that's like too charitable. Well, it's, I think it's pretty charitable. I think the, the other thing that it really reminds is just like when he when when they're giving the speech about how the indigenous people are so brutal, but then also he plays a siren and they're like, oh, goodness, technology. And they scamper away like it's there's still you. There was evidence in itself where he's making the movie that he could have caught on to the fact that he's saying two things at the same time uh, whenever it's convenient. Like he's his portrayal of what Vietnamese people are like is whichever version of them is convenient as either smart brutal conniving or right uh, uh childlike and ignorant and naive and letting us walk all over them right yeah and i mean they like bow to martin sheen after he kills marlon brando yeah yeah, like, yeah yeah exactly that sort of thing it's like you could tell when you're making this that you're doing both of these things yeah so i mean th- okay. that i'll give you that one like completely because that's just like an inconsistency in the script it's like it doesn't even make sense that those two things so, go together yeah, yeah yeah okay so so cool so okay so so that was my i know we'll get that on my system um, I did some extracurricular reading, which I don't normally do, and it made me feel bad um, in, <laughs> in a different part of my tum-tum. But now that I've done that, let's talk a little bit more about the moviness of the movie, because I also think there's – like, and I, I cannot tell you why. So this is my question to, to the panel is um, – this is the question I can't stop thinking about watching this, is I've never seen a movie that looked impossible. Like, mm. 
like you like humans could not make a movie like this. Right. I just don't believe it. And it's not because it's CG worlds. This is not CG and I just don't understand it. So my question is from a movie perspective, why is this the most amazing visually movie I've ever seen? Well, I mean, I would say like watching the rewatching this, especially after, you know, just watching um, Lawrence of Arabia uh, yeah. a few months ago, what this kind of reminded me of is like, if you, Almost any shot of this movie, especially like in the middle half, like the things involving the bridge or like the the surfing, like whole that whole yeah. scene of Duval. It's like when you if you watch any one shot and then you stop and think about resetting it and how oh, much yeah. uh, like the idea of like same thing with Lawrence of Arabia when it was just like how did they clear all the footprints out of these like ten thousand camels like the right 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 like this movie has. Uh, everything with the uh, Robert Duvall's character. It's like, okay, cut. Okay, so now we need to take all 12 of these helicopters back half a mile. Uh, we need to rebuild this building. And let's just, yeah. like, just, it's you unreal. Know, we'll get into this, I imagine, a little bit more because we are doing Hoats of Darkness next week, right? Right. Um, yes. But like, so we're talking more about the, so that's the movie about the, the documentary about the process of making it. And so we'll go deep on more on how fucked up that was and what all went wrong and stuff. But, but yeah, still like, visually, it's insane. Yeah. I mean, the, the use of color, that like 70s film grain that this film was shot with um, the film stock, the like just yeah. the use, the constant use of like there, there, there are just sequences that like you, I watch and I just cannot believe the amount of extras and things going on in the backgrounds and controlled bonings, like all this stuff that is just like, must've been such a disaster and pain in the ass to get right. Well, and also and, just, it's so expensive. So how did, yeah. like, so how is this just, did they just have the money to like have a jungle for as long as they need? Like how did, well, I mean, how so would somebody allow a movie of this size and craziness to get made? Well, this was Francis Ford Coppola coming off Godfather two, right? So okay, that's, I mean, yeah, he, that's had, fair. He, had, he had earned it. He had just made, you know, two of the biggest movies, os- giant Oscar winners. He had done the conversation. He had, you know, he was at the, tight height of his career this movie only cost 31 million dollars which in 1979 money i imagine is a lot more um but still not like transformers budget like this is still yeah i guess that you can just rent the philippines for not that much money well it's it's (laughs) like you 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 go to the philippines you have really good access to like all this equipment uh because there's all these like decommissioned omi bases there so they have all this old gear that's just sitting around Uh, Yeah, and it's just being, Mm. like, frugal with it. And it's, like, you know, a big part of, like, why Merlin Brando was, you know, uh, top build in this movie. It's, like, because this movie cost $31 million. And, like, the way, even at... The $170 million, or $107 million today. Yeah, Coppola at, you know, the height of his fame. Like, he had to, like, lie, cheat, and steal and, like, beg to get as much money as he could from this and get all this getting money you know the way old film production used to be is you would get money from a bunch of different uh sources and still kind of like that but like you know this was like but okay they're we'll all give you... um they're all like russian uh money laundering operations yeah but right. also, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was like okay we'll give you this you know united otis will give you five million but if you can get brando we'll give you 10 you know oh. so it was like Brando costs two million to get in the movie, uh, but that's another you know three million dollars you get if you make that choice. So like, you know, casting is a huge part of that. 
Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, this movie was just, it looked you know, I, like it was in terms of the cost. One of the things I kept thinking about Anthony was uh, every time, because of what you said last week, I was like, there's one more helicopter than I can see. <laughs> oh yeah. There's always, especially some of those shots with like eight or 12 <laughs> helicopters. And it's like, there's one more helicopter filming this. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but yeah, I, there's like, you know, Francis for Coppola's cameo in this movie. Um, no, yeah, where he's oh, on the beach and he's saying, Don't look at the camera. Yeah, oh, yeah he's like, him? This is for television, it's for TV. Oh, yeah, don't funny. look at the camera, don't look at the camera. But, like, that's, that's funny. Good for I him. Imagine every single day of his filming was like that energy that he has in that scene is just like what he lived in. I mean, this movie's you know, the production was supposed to be four months, it ended up lasting like almost 300 days of filming. Um, just yeah. wildly over budget. You know, they originally Harvey Keitel was cast as Martin Sheen's role, but he got fired after a few days of filming. Oh, uh, Martin Sheen. Harvey had a, Keitel? But he's yeah. so good. Yeah, but he just wasn't giving the like um, what I've seen Coppola say about it was that he wasn't like, you know, a big part of Martin Sheen's character is like he's like a passive. Observer. Yeah, he's like blank. He just like yeah, looks at stuff. He doesn't. And like. Kaitel apparently had problems with that, but like Martin Sheen was like going through a lot of problems at this time. Like, you know, the opening <laughs> the opening scene when he's in the room doing the karate, he's actually hammered. None of that was scripted. <laughs> they just, you know, it was just like, okay, he was like, I just wanna I wanna get into this role. I wanna get into this character. So Coppola just put a camera on him, let him get fucking drunk in a room. He actually punched that mirror, sliced his hand real open. He was covered mm. in his own blood. And you can, like, see he's fucking drunk as shit and high <laughs> as fuck. He had a heart yeah. attack halfway through filming this movie. Whoa. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, like, every possible thing that could go wrong during the production of it uh, did. And it's just, it's so... Like you just watch it and you can see that work that went into the screen. But yeah, you you are right. So, this movie does look like nothing it, else. It looks unreal, and part of that is definitely the '70s film stock too, which I would I'm curious to know more about. But it just like has a really interesting look. Grant, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say, you know, with classic movies like this, when you haven't seen them before and you watch them, you you do go, okay, I see why this is a classic because I can see direct lines from movies I have seen right. to this movie. Yes. yes right. Creative inflation. Creative I inflation. Yeah. We've talked about that before. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. And so you're like, Oh, okay. Uh, I, you know, a thin red line. That's a movie I liked. A thin red line is kind of this as a knockoff, right? It's an mm. introspective war movie mm-hmm. where this is psychological. What, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, where you're like, oh, I never knew that before, but now I totally see how though that's a direct line from Apocalypse Now. Yeah, I mean, yeah. anything using like Ride of the Valkyries, I feel <laughs> yeah. like that that scene is so iconic, and like you see that reference constantly in terms of like. Well, I will it, say though, sure. that, to be to be fair to Wagner, um, this movie is really ripping off the Ride of the Valkyries. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, this is from an opera. It's kind of like, in the where name, the Valkyries yeah. are riding, I believe. I assume. I've not seen the opera. But I assume 
there's a bunch of Valkyries riding in, and that's pretty bad. This is good analysis. I think that's why people listen to the show. Is <laughs> yeah. that like deep stuff we get into here? You this know? is what people are looking for from me. I it just is I don't know what a Valkyrie is, but I assume that they were riding in at that time. Valkyries are uh, like a mythical, like um, the um, the character. Oh, what's her name in um, in like the Thor movies, the Marvel yeah, movies? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Uh, uh, I forget what that actress's name is, um, but you know that rides in on a winged girl? horse and yeah, yeah oh, the okay. winged horse that that's uh, a Valkyrie. The Valkyries mm. are in like Norse mythology. Who like if you're a warrior and you die, Valkyries are what come and get your soul and take you to Valhalla. Um, right. So I've, I've oh yeah yeah okay. So I've googled it. Turns out absolutely true in the opera. Valkyries are riding when this song Whoa, plays. and we've yeah. confirmed the analysis. Confirmed. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag deep thoughts. <laughs> I I do think Grant. it's interesting with some movies like this where, you know, obviously I love the smell of napalm in the morning is the line that gets repeated the most. Mm-hmm. But when you're watching the movie for the first time, that's not a line that particularly stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, well, it, why it wasn't is... delivered with the comic timing that I'm used to hearing it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and you're like. You're this like, why like a guy pos- who likes the smell of jellied gasoline? Yeah, and it's, yeah. it's the fact it's one of those lines that like you hear it by itself your whole life before you see this movie, and then when you see it, it's a line in the middle of a monologue. Like right. that's what I so mean. And you're like before it, and so much after it in the movie. Yeah, and, and like, you're like, why has why has society why has posterity picked that as the moment to remember i don't know the answer to that but i think it's like an interesting like thought exercise yeah there's probably like a good like uh psych thesis that's like i've i've traced seven movie quotes from old movies and watched how they've like the like the way the oed has like a complete history of the usage of a phrase we like i've traced it and i've figured out why this one caught on and this one didn't and this one is the one that people say well i mean like okay you go i'll be back right Okay, that makes sense, right? Yeah, that was a big right. moment. Like, that's a dramatic turn. It's yeah. said by itself. Right. You're like, okay, I get that. But why? I'm not, I, I don't understand. I, I'm not mad at it. I, I just say, don't just understand. answer, just spitballing, I kind of occurs, it, it, it is a moment of like showing a person in the war who loves being in a war yeah. in a way that is really unnerving. So it's not yeah. a turning point but like the rest of the stuff he says about surfing and his theories on this war are a little bit more like a little less grounded maybe a little more batshit and that's a moment where it's like oh this is a really in like he what, what that was the thing that surprised me is when he said that line i was like oh he super means that he's yeah, genuine yeah, yeah. Oh, some and people like the smell of gasoline he really does like this smell Smell I do think that character, I think that character, Robert Duvall's character, is the most memorable character in the oh, movie. Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. For sure. I'm a little disappointed that he didn't exist. I uh, I sort of assumed it would be... Like, like if you ever read, like, um, Tim O'Brien, like, his books about Vietnam, it's, like, fiction, but if you go into it, there's a lot of stories or, oh, this this happened to me, and that's why I was inspired to write this I'm thing. And then sure some of them are based made. on somebody, though, right? Yeah. Like, he was a he was a conglomerate of like three yes. different officers. Yes. But man, that hat and the surfing, super interesting. Yeah. Also seemed like different people. I feel like that hat and a surfer would be different dudes. So it makes Honestly, sense that he was a composite. The thing I can't believe character. about that part, then I, I 
smelling the napalm in the morning thing is just in that scene the way he keeps looking out at the water and getting excited about surfing meanwhile everyone around him is afraid of getting shot that's just so fucking wild to me yeah i mean the thing that makes is you know like merlin sheen early when they introducing him is like he he's just this type of guy that you just know is going to get out of this scot scratch free, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and there's something about his nature, and like you, you hear stories about so many people, like the guys who are just like so unafraid, and the way like it's like a running gag that people keep thinking he's going to like bring them to talk about something important, but instead he's like, look how it breaks both ways. One guy that. Yeah, I that is just, it's so funny to me. And it kind of goes into, again, like, the way um, there's a line after he leaves him when he's like, if, you know, the Omi is okay with this guy, but they're not okay with Kurtz. Yeah, yeah. Kurtz right. Doing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's a very yeah, powerful, there, yeah. Again, this is sort of like this juxtaposition of, like, where where is the line? What does war do to people? What does war, like, like, I love when he tells the two soldiers, like, look, either go surf or go fight, but I'm not going to listen to you complain about how dangerous surfing right. is. Like it's, he's just such an insane character that really helps. Like, I, I think he's like such an important counterweight to like the coats, uh, that I just, it's a big part of what makes his sequence so memorable. Yeah. I, um, also just a, um, a random recommendation, which is that I've been listening to, um, Malcolm Gladwell's podcast a lot. He had a three, part series about napalm this year that was Mm. really interesting and it is like one of the most terrifying fucked up things that exists and yeah yeah, i mean like like uh fun fact about napalm invented on the tennis courts at harvard university and they don't want you to know that so i feel like telling everybody i think it's really important it's they're like trying the way, not to have people know it's a Harvard product, so I want to make sure we always refer to it as Harvard's napalm. It's like the way uh, Bayer, uh, the German pharmaceutical invented heroin, but they don't want you to know about that. Uh, yeah, Bayer's uh, Bayer brand heroin, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, heroin's actually really one of those great stories where it's like every 10 years, humans are like, no, 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 we figured out how to use opium safely this time. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, the, I mean, the humanity for thousands of years is opium kicking our ass, and every few years we're like, no, 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 this one's the good opium, and then it's well, like, God, oh, it turns that's out we're the, wrong. The great irony about heroin is that it yeah. is, it yeah. literally is the greatest opium in the world in terms of, like it doesn't hurt any of your organs. It's completely healthy to take as long as you take care of yourself. The problem is, it's the most addictive substance known to man. That's the that's the little kink in the issue there yeah i mean oh. although it does make jazz possible but i don't want this to be a pro heroin <laughs> podcast um. yeah i mean that is uh, a that's another weird thing that like uh i was thinking about this how this movie has like some slight you know they're definitely a smoke weed in one scene but it's it's and, it and feels, the guy does acid and almost gets everybody killed right yeah uh which who's one of my favorite characters in terms of you want to talk about a guy who's never coming back uh, right. <laughs> that, that is fucked, fucked. Uh, but the way, like, uh, so many later Vietnam War movies really focused on the drug aspect of the soldiers' experience, yeah. which is something I, I think is like, it's kind of weird. Those the way that you look at, like, so many of Apocalypse Now things became staples in Vietnam movies, and then you add like heroin to it, and you basically get platoon. You basically get. Uh, you know, a few other war movies. It is weird that this movie, like, 
that has become such a part of like if you're making a Vietnam movie, you got to have a scene when they're doing drugs and podium. Right. Yeah. Um, but this movie doesn't really deal with that because well, it's too early. I mean, if I had one message to Francis Ford Coppola and to all directors, it's like let a war percolate for a little bit before you make a definitive movie about it. It was like when there was that movie um, about the one of the planes on 9-11 that came out on like 9-14. You know, like, yeah, I remember that. Like, let, United 93. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like, let, was that was that Coppola also? No, that was uh, <laughs> the guy who did um, like the Bourne movies and Captain Oh, Phil I thought Rose. that was a super famous director. Yeah, no, he is a super famous. Uh, Paul Greengrass? Paul yeah, Greengrass, yeah, but he's not yeah. Coppola. No, I mean, I, I really like Paul Greengrass. I haven't seen oh, okay. 1993, but like, I think Captain Phillips is one of the best true story movies ever made. I guess um, that was technically 2006, which is kind of a yeah. while. But still, like, it just feels like it's it's like it's not too soon in the way people say that about jokes. It's too soon in like literally you don't know enough yet. But also, it takes right. a while to like, learn some things. It's like, what are you trying to make, though? Like, I don't think he's trying to make a movie that was like the necessarily like a he's not trying to make a documentary like i think the hurt locker which is a movie i haven't seen in a long time but like that came out you know pretty uh like four or five years after the sort of you know the second gulf war started yeah and like that movie is like not necessarily trying to be a documentary about the war as much as it's a like apocalypse now it's a, a story about the psychological effect that war takes on a human being right right the sort of like what this as an experience does and like what following that impulse down will do you could do that same thing three years later (laughs) and then you would make fewer oopsies but what if someone else made it before you that's what it feels like it's it's a race i mean that's what surprised me about this movie is i was like i thought that was a like 2000s and on phenomenon of making a movie right after a war happened but it turns out we've been doing it for a while i mean you know the first movie about the titanic came out three months after the titanic sink right I, uh like this is me, i did not know that that's crazy yeah i mean yeah, weirdly really, it was a comedy uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like this that, that has always been that is that goes hand in hand with film you know like you want to talk about like yeah. bad 9-11 movies remember like how many firefighter movies came out like two, three years after 9-11? Like that one with Nick Cage and Walking Phoenix and just like Dude. They, they made a lot of those movies. Hollywood will Saved from Titanic, 1912, co-starred or, or co-written and starring Titanic survivor Dorothy Gibson. Yes. And released 29 days after the sinking. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, what I mean, fuck? that's I always think... been Hollywood's M.O. Right. It, the, yeah. This is this is a normal thing. But also, I, I kind of I'm like, t- I'm kind of thinking about what you're saying, Alex, and like stringing it out in my head. And I feel like maybe that movie would be, yeah, probably more accurate, but maybe it wouldn't be as psychological because it feels like if, you know, he's making this movie and filling in a lot of gaps. And I think what he has is what he has right then is the actual emotion of being an American while this war is going on, right? Yeah. And and maybe maybe there's something that he was able to bring to it that he wouldn't have been able to bring to it if he had waited a longer time. Now the trade-off there is, you know, would you would have would you have had this kind of uh like super racist kind of filling in gaps of just like making Vietnamese people into like people that throw like spears and shit? Yeah. Probably not. I don't know. Uh I don't know I don't know Coppola well enough to know whether he would have uh 
brought that well, into I'm it. I'm not sure you would have changed that into the 80s because part of the problem is that's the way we thought about Vietnam in the 70s, as evidenced by all of these decisions that the American government made where they assumed that people in Vietnam right. were not a society. Right. Like there's so many decisions and so many conversations where we have Nixon on tape saying racist shit. Like we have there's no shortage of that in the 70s. And so the the fact that a movie maker would like fall prey to that as well is not shocking. Well, see, I, I don't know. I wonder, though, it's like the more and it's it sucks that I don't I haven't watched this documentary. I wonder the more obvious it is, the more I almost feel like maybe he was aware and this is then folded into the movie. You get what I'm saying? I do get what you're saying. I don't know that that conversation, I, this this conversation feels like academic and recent and I may not, you know, I didn't go to college in the seventies, so I don't know, but my feeling is we probably weren't that aware of otherism in media in the same way in 1970. Yeah. Like it, we probably wouldn't have othered on purpose to make a point. Yeah. yeah to make a point. Yeah. I, I think that there is, it's probably the difference. Like you could literally split the difference between your two points by looking at like the John Millis version of the screenplay and what Francis brought to it. Like I oh. absolutely agree. Alex, what you're describing, that is exactly what John Millis intended, right? <laughs> He's a fucking weird, intense guy. Um, you know, one of his biggest regrets was not being able to go and fight in Vietnam because he had asthma. Oh, but right, yeah. Oh. You know, he is like, if you know anything about John Millis, he is, you know, he's the guy who, you know, wrote Conan the Barbarian and Red Dawn. He's, you know, a big, crazy dude who's like, he's the type of guy, like, when Scorsese wanted to know how you would buy guns illegally uh, when he was writing Taxi Driver. John Mealis is who he went to. And he's like, yeah, I'll tell, <laughs> I'll tell you how you buy guns illegally. He's, he's just sort of a famous film psychopath. And I um, think that his version of the script and like what Francis brought to it, I think that's kind of where you get the, the, the sort of the middle between you two is like sort of what Francis had wanted to do with this movie and how he sort of portrayed it. Um, where I so, think the, uh, the stuff that the problematic stuff is more like baked into the bones. Cause that's just what John wrote, you know? Okay. So this is definitely a movie that has at least another hour worth of conversation, but we do not um, for a variety of reasons. So let's, um, this is our last call for apocalypse. Now episode one, uh episode uh, episode about apocalypse now episode you guys get it here's your last yeah. call what are your thoughts uh well what else, what i just want to add the, the only thing i want to add at this point that we that we haven't covered at all uh that i do really like about the movie is uh the second act i like any movie that makes room for an episodic structure um it just gives such an epic oh. feel to the whole thing um just yeah when they're just like the boat is just going you know, down the river and, you know, you point, you pointed out the inaccuracy of that. Uh, and I don't, I don't challenge that at all, but I do think that it allows the script to tell the story in a unique way. Um, and just kind of show, you know, it's like they go a little further down the river and now there's like, it almost feels like a mini series for a little bit. It's like each, yeah. each thing they run into is an episode of the show. Yeah. It's a road yeah, trip it's comedy. A, it's a yeah. series of vignettes more than it is like a, a set sort of, you know, one thing happens and then another thing happens kind of narrative. I do. I want to talk about um, how long ago was it last week or two weeks ago? We watched Dracula. I, time is weird for me. I, I forget how long ago that was. Uh, that's a great question. I have no idea either. 
Um, <laughs> we don't know I, if we watched that last week. <laughs> um, yeah, I should know. I feel like it was last week. No, last week was Stargate Atlantis. It was two right. years ago. Yes. So I, a, in case you're just joining us, weird, weird model. I don't know yeah, what our arc um, is at all. But I think it's very interesting comparing uh, this to Dracula. Uh, both Francis Ford Coppola, you know, there's a 20-year oh, right. difference between them. Um, and this sort of like, what I think is really interesting about early Francis, when he, when he was making the movies he wanted, his passion projects, before he just started cashing in paychecks and being experimental and weird, is that there is, he, he used to be so good at walking this delicate line between like a snail on a uh, switchblade or whatever the thing is he says in this movie. Um, <laughs> but what he, of terms of like classic conventional filmmaking and odd artistry, right? Like, so I think apocalypse now really hits that balance in terms of like, there's a lot of like overlaid images and things like transitioning from one to another. And like, yeah, this yeah. Weird sort of hallucinatory stuff that is like, it's only there kind of sporadically. And it's, I think this, uh, this was when he was a filmmaker who was really invented, inventive and really invested in like, in like what you can do with the medium and film. And I think by the time you get to something like Dracula, where his, his host's not in it as much, and he's just trying to like have fun and play with toys and isn't trying to tell like, you know, such a serious thing. And I do think that this movie kind of broke him a little yeah, bit. Like, he was sure. just like, I don't, I don't ever want to care that much about anything again. Uh, because that was a nightmare. That was like the worst few years of my life. Yeah. Uh, and I think that it's just, it's very interesting to those, like, you know, this all these iconic, super conventional filmmaking flourishes. And then, you know, especially when you get towards the end and you just start to get this weird, you know, hallucinogenic uh, kind of imagery of, like, images fading in and out from each other. It's just, I really love that balance he strikes in this movie. Um, and yeah. overall, I, I just want to say, I think this movie fucking is great. I haven't seen it in a long time. Uh, a lot of the movies for this, you know, season three series, I've been uh, really glad to have a chance to revisit them because this isn't the type of movie you sit down and decide you want to like just right. watch for funsies. Um, but it was this was really cool to rewatch. So this yeah, was- Grant, yeah, final thoughts? Yeah. Anything else that we missed? We want to make sure we get in here. Yeah, I think one of the things um, that's hard for us, you know, who didn't grow up into the in the Cold War, to remember like just how afraid people were of communism and things like that. I I think, I think we lose that sometimes, especially like people in the millennial generation and stuff. We're just like, Oh, everyday people were legit worried that a huge nuclear war was going to start at any point, you know? And and that's like a, and, and I don't say that to defend or to apologize for this film or any other film, but when you go, there just there was a ton of sense of otherism at the time, right? Yeah. Because that that I think we acknowledge and and recognize a lot more now than we did, but back then people were legitimately afraid that like, oh, communism's going to take over the world, and it it almost seems silly and ridiculous to us now. Um, well, with it's, like, it's, yeah, it's unfair because we know the ending. We know that it. Yeah, didn't, that's true. And yeah, so it's a different. Uh, like I, on a similar vein, I've been, I was, um, I went on a tangent the last couple of months about, um, the atomic bomb and I, um, read a, a very, very long book about it and watched a couple of documentaries about it. And I, um, one of the things 
that is easy to uh, have the wrong or have the, a different opinion about now is like at the time when we we're making the atomic bomb, we assumed Hitler was as well. And the idea of Hitler with a nuclear bomb is just so unbelievably terrifying. Um, totally. And it turns out he wasn't. Uh, he was very bad at it. And they were really, really far behind. But we didn't know that. And we assumed uh, that he was. And so that kind of change where you like know the ending, it changes the how you feel about the uh, the drive at the time to do a thing like and how how people were feeling then. I mean, like something I think about a lot and I think it's really the only kind of thing that other sort of generation has is like I remember like post 9-11 there was like this this real sense and this kind of line that was pit i feel like in all of our heads of like this happened because they hate our freedom right <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah. this thing that no what a funny thing not, someone got away with it, saying it doesn't make any sense it's like it's such a boiling down but like so many it was so easy especially you know i was a kid i don't know what the fucking adult saying this what their excuse were but, <laughs> but like People genuinely well, a lot of them were that. using it to get out to do things that they wanted to that were bad. But they still like genuinely believe this concept, right? And I yeah. remember that was so powerful. And that that times a hundred is what the Cold War was for forty years, right? It True. was this idea of like you know the iron. It's it's fucking dominoes. One of them yeah. falls. We're all speaking Russian by this time next year. You know, it's like this this. Like really making this um, like, um, like, um, like odd uh, concept that is America and freedom something yeah. that's like real and that you can hold on to, and like that is something that is so hard to wrap your head around. And I do think that like they hate us because of freedom is the only time people of our generation have kind of really experienced that type of thinking, and you yeah. can yeah. see like. That type of thinking led us into a war that is probably going to go on forever, right? And it's just, it's so easy to see with just like a handful of years of that type of thinking, the amount of noticeable, measurable damage it has done to the world and the people's lives. And then you think about that over 40 years, and it's just, it's so depressing, and I I can't even wrap my my head really around it. You know, I will. I will just uh, last thought on this, and we have one more stupid segment. And I know it's been a long time. But we have one more stupid segment to go before, but I just want to um, speak really quick. That was a, such a good point, Anthony. It reminds me. I just want to say this to all the terrorists who are listening, um, <laughs> which is that uh, I I think what Anthony just said really illustrates the point that terrorism is a lot like satire, in that if you don't think people can misunderstand it. You are underestimating <laughs> those people. <laughs> I think we were very powerful at getting a terrorist attack and be like, it's because of our cool freedoms. Yeah, we really did not get the message you were trying to send. Yeah. Uh, kind of may have been counterproductive to your message, actually. Um, so yeah. it's I'm not, not super into satire, been, not big on terrorism either. Yeah, it's not because we've been, you know, invading and fucking with your country for a hundred plus years. Yeah, yeah, it's but, not because of colonialism. It's, yeah, it's because of freedom. That they just I mean, that's the, the, other, the really important takeaway of Vietnam is just like how the effects of colonialism are like how recent they are still bad. And the, even now, there's so many of them going on today. And it's uh, like even really, well, we backed off of some some of that. Yeah. And we're still dealing with the effects. All right. Um, let's let me. Yeah, we have one more segment. Stupid, but important. Please stick around. All right, for our 
final thing today that I want to do, we have a brand new meet buddy, and I want to send a big thank you to uh, Matthias from Helsinki, Finland, for joining up today, becoming a meet buddy. And as you know, we do, uh, it's kind of a choose your own adventure when you, you become a meet buddy where we can uh, um, uh, explore a variety of topics and options and you get to you get to pick how you want it to happen. Um, so this is actually perfect for our theme today, which we, we it's been international travel. So we're going to take a jump from Vietnam all the way up, I assume, to Finland um, because Matthias says this, for my thank you segment, I would like you and your guests to tell me about your favorite facts about finland without looking anything up so these can be made up they can be poorly remembered but i want to hear a segment about facts about finland for inspiration allow me to start with some true facts about finland we have the world's highest per capita coffee consumption in the world um 12 kilograms per person per year about 26 and a half pounds um number two finland has been ranked the happiest country in the world three years running um uh, there, which actually really makes you wonder what happened in 2017 that changed there for them or made the other country. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Well, who as they far as I know, there. isn't it like always a Scandinavian country? They're just all like it's, it's just like they're all <laughs> jockeying for the happiest. It could, it could definitely be, and it's possible that it's like one of those things. Where it's like if you like are trying to win a caption contest and you like tell your friends to go vote for you. So it's maybe just they're like Finland's really into online polls, and that's why they're doing it. They're like they make their people get out and vote for happiest every year. Yeah, I don't yeah. Know. Uh, other fun fact there are over three million saunas in finland uh out of about 5.5 million people um so one uh sauna for every one and a half people two people two people every two people um there's even a burger king with a sauna in helsinki bonus fact and lastly conan o'brien visited finland in 2006 almost exclusively because he remembered our first he resembled our first female president tarja Mm, halonen you remember that and he got he got an audience with her as well. So anyway, those are uh, Matthias's uh, true facts about Finland. I assume he isn't lying to me because we did have this thing a while back where we were doing true facts about Australia, and someone definitely lied to me where they showed me a picture of a wet koala and made me think it was a totally different creature. A, um, <laughs> what, like a, a drop bear. Is that what yes, they, yes, they, it's uh, a classic Australian prank, apparently, yeah. where you show someone a wet koala and tell them it's this other. Anyway, I hundred percent, hundred percent fell for the uh, drop bear scan scam. So I, I, uh, I have a joke I really like. It's kind of uh-huh. it's it's supposed to be about Switzerland, but you can kind of stretch the logic of it and make it about any sort of Nordic country. Uh-huh. Okay, are you ready? What's the um? What's the best thing about being from Finland? I don't know what. I don't know either, but the uh, the the flag's a plus. Wow, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, that's good. That's good. That's Is that you... true of Finland? Do well, they also they're... have a plus in the flag? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's a little bit offsided, but like Switzerland, oh, it's is one perfect. Of those. Yeah, like uh, uh, white, right? Is that yeah. the Finland flag colors? Yeah. Yeah. We assume. We can't look it up. We assume that's a... true. It's also like a cross, sideways cross. But yeah, 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 yeah. that makes some sense. All those Nordic countries that have kind of like a cross as their flag. Good joke, you can that joke for, but I, love I like that, that a lot. The only thing I know, right, the first thing that comes to my mind is that I know that Iceland is not particularly icy and Greenland is not particularly green. So I am assuming not a no lot of fins. visible fins. Yeah. yeah, I'm assuming ah, this no is fins. A, no. not a Finn culture as much as they're, but they're saying that for marketing purposes. That's my assumption. Yeah, I mean, you're the buffer between uh, Sweden and Russia, so that's pretty sweet. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty prime place <laughs> to be. That's historically been fun for you, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine, you know, 
your women are beautiful, your drinks are strong. Um, I have uh, the, the one thing that jumps out of me in Finland, or the other thing that jumps out of me is that I am 80% sure, but not 100% sure that it is not Norway or Sweden. Like, it could be one of those, like, England-Scotland situations. Oh, yeah, Where yeah. you're like, these are actually the same. But I don't think they are, but that's... No, they're that's all very independent countries. Is oh. it is it one of those where they've always been a little bit at war, or they chill independent countries? They've always been a little bit at war, I would say that. That okay. that would be them. The so, three of them, and then Denmark and Russia have been in it plenty of times. Do you feel like Russia's winning in all of those? But Yeah, I mean, yeah. Um my stepdad is Swedish, which isn't has nothing to do with Finland. No, it's different. Can so. you see the um you can see like the Aurora Borealis in Finland, right? Like I'm a boy. Yeah, it's you can out. Out there, right? Like that's <laughs> that's fucking cool. That's yeah. cooler than anything else most this of the This is very has. cool. It's extremely cool. I've never uh, seen that, would like to. Yeah, Here's I, a, uh, go ahead, Grant. I know an actual fact about Finland. Well, um, I mean, that's insulting to our facts, but sure, go yeah. ahead. Uh, the Finland national soccer team just qualified for their first ever major tournament. Hey! Um, yeah. So that's they, awesome. are, they are one of the only um, European countries to never qualify for a World Cup or a European championship, and they qualified for their very first one the European Championship in 2020, which then got postponed. Oh, so, I love that fact because yeah. it was very positive, but it also had like a diss couched in it, you it know? Did, yeah. And then it had a twist ending. What a great, you know, I, what a great fact. I, I'm I, sure they must be very excited, you know? I mean, they the first one, you know? It's, it's yeah. pretty exciting. And the um, name of their... Um, uh, one of their leading scorers in qualification. Also, one of my favorite names out there. Oh. Uh, his full name is Timu Puki. Oh, nice. Puki. Nice. Yeah. Um, uh, wait, does Puki play in, the, in another... Does he play in the Premier League? He was playing in the Premier League last year for Norwich. Yeah, um, he was he's and, incredible. Yeah, they got relegated, so he is not in the oh, Premier League. Yeah, anymore. okay, yeah, he, but he was like he like did all of he was scored yeah, he all was of the like, goals for that team. Yeah, especially early on in the season, he kind of fell off later in oh, the he season. Did. But early, are you on, a Premier League guy, fire. Grant? Oh yeah. Oh shit! Big never, guy. You're big. <laughs> oh, man, oh, but you played in college. I forgot about that. Yeah. Who is your Premier League team? Well, you know, I didn't grow up with one. Like okay. you know, yeah, yeah, no, no, no. so right. Um, my brother has been into Liverpool for the last like ten years, so I yeah. suppose so I. So you're you're jumping out. on this bandwagon? Yeah, you know. Dude, I, uh, okay, I, am, I gotta I'm a... say, Grant, it would have been real dope if you had been like Finland. Of course, it would have really <laughs> real well. Dude, I uh, so um I have uh I'm also a Liverpool supporter, which I've talked about briefly on the show. But I'll just tell you guys really quick. Here's how it happened. I was playing uh, soccer in high school. And uh, sophomore year in high school, we got a new coach, and he was the biggest dickhead I've ever met. <laughs> like the worst human being, uh, not particularly good at coaching soccer, and also left us early and lied to us that said he'd gotten a job in microbiology working on genetic splicing of tomatoes. He had a very elaborate lie, and then a week later was coaching our rival team. But anyway, oh, this guy, piece of shit. And he was the first time I ever heard of Premier League, because he made us watch a bunch of Premier League matches. 
And so, and he was a big Man United fan. And I said, what I asked him what his least favorite team was. And he said, he hates Liverpool. And I was like, I am a Liverpool fan from today until the day I die, just because I hate you that much. Um, And I did not get super serious. It was for a while, you know, people our age, for a while, it was, you could not watch a lot of Premier League here. It was very difficult. And so, Recently, about four years, five years ago, my sister's a big Liverpool fan for other reasons randomly. And so we like reconnected and got more into soccer. And so I'm also a kind of a bandwagon, but I've been like around. Yeah. But they're but also here's the just thing. like super fun to watch, right? They're, they're just so, so fun to watch. Their their attacking trio is just so good and I don't know. And the coach gives nice the best hugs in soccer. Yeah, it's like, yeah. What a what a great but here's the thing people need to understand about bandwagons. There's a band and a wagon, it sounds fucking cool. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, why you are you be there for wanting to be on the cool thing you made? Yeah, or like, yeah. fair weather. Also, the best weather. That's when you should be fans of things, <laughs> is when it's good. Do you know what, what also sounds cool? The city Helsinki. I yeah, I was it. about to say. It, it sounds like it should be bad, but everything I've seen about it sounds beautiful. It Thank sounds, you for bringing me back. Cool I'm going to talk to Grant about city. Liverpool the rest yeah. of this day, though. You can't stop me. Yeah. <laughs> no, go ahead. We'll talk more about Liverpool later. But yes, um, yeah, Helsinki sounds badass. I especially think it sounds better. Like, I imagine there's a lot of competition between the Scandinavian countries. I imagine. And I think, you know, uh, let me just list them real quick. Oslo, Stockholm, Copenhagen, meh. Mm-hmm. Reykjavik, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. Yeah, Reykjavik is, cool sounding. is a really cool sounding place. That's maybe also, second place to Helsinki, which has I, the coolest name of all those names. But, but, which one of those has a syndrome? Only Stockholm. So Ooh, that's true. You get bonus points for the syndrome. Yeah. But Helsinki is the coolest if it's in a, in a vacuum, I would say. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. Um, did uh, they have... Did I, England invent the Little Mermaid, or is that a different Scandinavian country? Ooh, I don't know there. You know, Leave speaking of things they invented, I, I just assume this of most Scandinavian and European countries, but um, you probably have like a real fucked up and metal version of Santa Claus. Because you know, oh, sure, yeah, yeah. In America, we we only got like the Coca Cola version, but you hear about like European versions, and they're like this Santa Claus comes down and sexually assaults your grandma. If you can- <laughs> <laughs> like, what? Um, but yeah, like you know, real metal. Like, oh, this this Santa Claus has an evil version who will eat you. Oh my uh, god, the best. I, every holiday should have a villain version of the hero for that holiday. They're yes, like the, the fact that we don't have an anti-Santa is the, one of America's biggest flaws. This is why. No, I don't believe them when they say they hate our freedom. We don't have evil Santa Claus, which any reasonable country would have. There has to be. If we're like, we'll give you coal. Who gives a shit? In Holland, they beat you up, put you in a bag, and take you away to Spain. That's what bad yeah, kids why, get. Why doesn't? Why doesn't Pepsi invent the evil Santa Claus? You know, <laughs> yes. really oh my, God. Out. my the, impression yeah, is the, that um, all they have is evil Santa Claus, that there isn't a good, the good Santa Claus is an invention we've made up, but actually Santa Claus is just kind of a dark guy. I like that too, but I, I wait, we have to, okay. So if there's Coca-Cola Santa and then Pepsi redesigns Killy, the Christmas demon to be like a fun, cool character yeah, I this would make Christmas a hundred percent better. Yeah, I just want a Pepsi ad where a little demon murders a polar bear, and it's like, <laughs> oh, this is great. Christmas. I think uh, it should be more subtle. I think it should just be wearing like a polar bear fur jacket and not talk about it. I think that would be cool. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It could be more subtle. It could be more subtle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Generation next, right there. Cool coat flip. Okay, so I think we've pretty much covered Finland. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's enough, Finland. <laughs> Um, amazing. Well, uh, thank you so much for becoming a mute buddy, Mateus. I hope this has been fun for you and all of your fin filled friends. Um, we appreciate everybody, of course, who donates to the show and keeps us limping down the tracks. If you want to join them and get a segment as important to the universe as the one that we have just completed, you can go to metreon.com and join our Patreon page. That's just a redirect that goes to patreon.com slash meet buddies, but we bought Metreon dot com it's important that you use uh whichever one is easier to you but we just wanted to have it all right that brings us to the end of our show thank you so much for listening we'll be back again next week next week we are going to be watching the documentary film hearts of darkness a filmmaker's apocalypse about what a nightmare this movie was to make this is a first for us it's our first documentary um and it's also which every time we watch a movie, I feel like, or not every, like most of the times we watch a movie, Anthony and Hunter will casually mention a documentary about the making of that movie that I haven't seen. Um, so this is fun one where we actually get to get into it and we're going to actually talk about it. So super excited about that. Really interested to learn more about this. Spoil this for me, Anthony. Is this the one where they like accidentally burned down a huge portion of the jungle and felt bad about it? Uh, I mean, yeah. There's like sets that get destroyed by a massive like tsunami or hurricane that comes in. I'm thinking um, of something else. Yeah, I'm not sure what the fire is. I thought there was a movie. I would Vietnam not be surprised movie. if that is like a minor yeah, detail of this movie. It is such okay. a disaster that yeah. yeah. You just like we're lighting something on fire and accidentally burned like a huge section of jungle and anyway. Um, it could be that could be a different movie. Um, anyway, that's what we're talking about next week. So check it out. Hearts of Darkness, the filmmaker's apocalypse, and the Vietnam conversation will continue with that. If you have uh, suggestions, questions, comments, if you want to tell us that we are profiting off of abuse, you can email us podcast at read-weave.com. We would love to hear from you. And most importantly, uh, go right now and pre-order or buy, depending on when you listen to this, curmudgeon the game the uh tabletop game with cards not not a card game it's a game that has (laughs) cards in it that you can play on a table or any board um of silly insults curmudgeongame.com thank you so much for hanging out grant it was really fun chatting with you yes thanks for having me this is a lot of fun you were a liverpool fan before i know we would have had a different podcast. Have, have you gone to the Liverpool bars here in LA? Have you hung out and watched the yes, games? Yes, I have. Bars? I have. Um, yeah, it's fun. It's I, it's fun for big games. To I mean, obviously not this year, but um, yeah, yeah. I did once before everything shut down. Yeah, it's it's just a, such a fun atmosphere to go with other people that like are invested. You know, so fun. And, and Liverpool is a big enough team that they are support, supporters groups all over the place. So I've been to the yeah. New, York, New York supporters bar. I've been to a Toronto supporters bar. Like wherever I'm on the road, if there's a game, I try to find a local bar. People watching, really good time. That's fun. Um, yeah, we'll talk more about that, and uh, I look forward to playing your game. I'm very excited Thank you. about this. I am um, excited as well. Yeah. All right, and thanks for being here, uh, Hunter. Great chat with you. you. I'm not sure how I feel about it. I think I hate it, but I'm worried that if I hate it, it'll make it happen more. Make what happen more, buddy? Yep, I hate it. All right, and then also thanks for being here, Anthony Lopez. I just want to go on record. I love it. The movie? Oh, the voice. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, of course you do. All right, we'll talk to everybody next week. Goodbye. Bye. All right. Bye.